All right, sorcerers, it is that time of the edition again. So, Mike, we did this, I think, a couple years ago, two, three, probably about three years ago. Yep. Uh, we did our wish list episode. It is time for that again. We might even have some more than just that to cover because uh, it's been pretty busy here this fall. Um, mm -hmm. And and the most recent stuff that has has basically been announced is all the Arcs of Omen uh, details. Those are starting to leak out now. And um, I think we're probably getting a taste of probably some of the rules for 10th edition. Uh, the, the rumors are kind of flying left and right. The 10th edition is like right around the corner, possibly this summer. Uh, and that the world eaters uh, and the Imperial Guard Codex are kind of like an, um, a, a taste of things to come for the for the next edition. Yeah, it's a, a time of great change is upon us. Yes, uh, it which is. I, I mean, change is good, right? Uh, it shakes things up. Uh, Indeed. Um, so where what do we get started? And maybe. We're going to get into the wish list stuff, and that's going to take a while. So we probably <laughs> ought to just kind of let's just scratch the surface here and, and you know warm our forty k brains back up a little bit here. And, yep. um, let's talk about arcs of omen here. Um, it seems like there's going to be some pretty big changes here shaken up to the game. I, I suspect that we're going to see chapter approved dropped sometime in January. Uh, they're they're very heavily. Um, starting to, to to leak out articles on the community site now, which which seems to suggest that hey, get ready. Within the next few weeks or so, we're going to see Arcs of Omen up for pre-order. The biggest thing yeah. out of it all is the detachment change, which I, I mean, I don't know about you, I really like it. I, I think it's fantastic. You you pretty much no longer really are going to have to use patrols, battalions. Um, well, uh, yeah. hold on. I, I'll, I'll get to that because you will need to use patrols. But it, it's more like as your core army, you're, you're not going to yeah. design the core of your army around like, oh, well, I'm always taking the ubiquitous battalion, right? And uh, then yeah. having to have three troop choices, that kind of thing. Now what it's going to be is um, you'll have a, I believe it's a compulsory HQ unit, uh, and then you will have to take three of either troops, elites, fast attacks, heavy support. Um, and that is kind of like the or, core. Lord of War. Or Lord of War. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So technically, uh, the compulsory HQ is also not mandatory if you're running uh, nice. Codex Imperial Knights or Chaos yeah. Knights. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a good job of just basically saying, guys, here is one detachment. It works for everybody. It has no command benefit, but it also doesn't cost anything. It's just, here you go. Put yeah. your army in here and go for it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of, like, looking at this, I wish this has always been the standard detachment. Uh, it gives you such great flexibility with list building without really changing anything. I mean, the only thing that it does, like, it does is that it reduces your HQ tax, which, granted, HQs have changed from being this sort of well terrible tax to having very useful auras for the most part for most armies, I should say. Uh, but now you don't necessarily have to spend a ton of uh, points on them. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Like you don't need the two for the battalion, which almost every, I mean, the battalion, if we get down to it, was kind of what everybody would take, right? And oh yeah, it just gave you the most flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the nice thing, I think for Thousand Sons, it's it's a big win because in most cases, you had lists where you have Aramon, and then you're usually, if you're running 10 Scarab Occult Terminators, you're then squeezed into or handcuffed into having to take an Infernal Master to buff them. So really yeah. all you were working with was one HQ slot at that point, if you're mm-hmm. if you're not trying to consider things like Sorcerers. But you would have to take an Exalted Sorcerer to, to sneak in an additional Sorcerer on top of that. So the most you could get is an additional two at that point. What's nice about this is it's kind of like a sneaky little buff that now I can I can take my core like Aramon, my Infernal Master, um, and then I I actually have like an additional HQ slide in there where I can squeeze a Demon Prince if I wanted one, or if I want two Exalted Sorcerers, I've got room for them, and then that actually opens up two more um, non-slotted. Uh, or non-detachment slot uh, sorcerers, like the sorcerer or the um, sorcerer and terminator armor, um, which is yeah. really cool. Um, and then th- there's another sneaky thing in there that's really cool. So what they do is now what we had in the battalions that they did in ninth edition was they opened it up to six elite slots. Um, and I, I I don't know that that affected Thousand Suns too much. I, I think there were plenty of lists that did take advantage of that. Uh, but what's what's neat now is that those extra three elite slots now um you can you can still do the six uh but now you actually are up to nine uh but the extra three are just for characters so if you're yep. a space marine army for 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 that matter and you've got all those special characters uh in the elite slot like your um what is it your I forget the lieutenant may have might have gotten moved there. The apothecary, your ancient, you know, your your yeah. weird your your weird special slots because they have, you know, they got to have a unique dude for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have room now for those, and then they can still take advantage of uh, six elite slots. Yeah, and the one thing I really like about this is, so strictly speaking, it gives if you take three elites as your core, that gives you six. But if you take, like, for instance, three fast attack as your, like, mandatory, right. then it, the, the entire attachment adjusts around what you're taking yep. so that you don't necessarily just get six, 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 six for elite fast attack if it's for Pet Lord of the War. You still have to make a decision yep. for which deta- uh, troop uh, style of unit you're wanting to build your list around. Yeah. Um, like if you want to take all rubric marines, you can. Uh yeah. you can now take, you know, 12 rubric marines in one detachment, which I I think sounds I, pretty pretty fun. Yeah. Um without any you, you I like this flexibility. Uh yeah. and I like the fact that it's just one detachment with none of this. Well, it's three, but you can refund it for zero and it's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, and not, you don't have to take a special auxiliary heavy support attachment if you want to take one knight or one wraith knight or whatever. Uh, it's, everything's under the same slot, under the same detachment. It makes list building much yeah. easier, I think, in that regard. And and furthermore, um, one of the other things they've been looking at, and kind of getting back to my patrol comment that I made, 
Um, what they're doing now is they're basically saying, well, okay, if you take an arcs of omen detachment, it sounds like that's going to be the only detachment that you can take. Like you won't be yeah. able to uh, grab other detachments on top of that. Um, but what they're doing is they're making exceptions to that with the battle brothers rules. So they're being yes. very, it seems like what they're doing is being very, very specific here and saying, these guys in the fluff and in the lore, they fight together. So your battle brothers, you can fight together. So, you know, there's no um, th there's no delusions of uh, Eldar summoning demons here, but there is uh, the, the, the cool stuff where you can have, you know, thousand sons with Zinch demons and you can bring a Zinch demon patrol. It makes me kind of curious whether what they might do is um, change, change the way the um the souping is done with zinch demons and thousand suns uh in, in those types of categories where you know what we've seen over the last three months or so with demons um particularly zinch demons and flamers for that matter flamers have pretty much just put any chaos army that takes them on their back and just carry them to really good results at tournaments and so um, yeah. One of the problems is, yeah, you can go ahead and fix the points on them, but it depends on how much you you nerf hammer them, and they don't tend to have a, a very you know uh, aggressive approach in that matter. They've even spoken to that in some of the videos and the commentary that they give out. Uh, they, they don't tend to come in and make these big big sweeping adjustments where it's like, okay, that's up twenty points. Uh, what they're trying to do is, you know tweak it without going crazy and if they have to tweak it some more they will um and and it with flamers i i kind of feel like that's the they're possibly in the one area where it's kind of vulnerable to that approach where they need they need a significant address um adjustment here um they need their probably their points taken up they need their power levels taken up um, and then that brings into question, how much can you soup them with the rest of the army? Um, and then there's all sorts of games you can play with. I take one more rubric Marine and suddenly my power level jumps up. And so you had a bunch of games, you know, being played around um, kind of manipulating the power levels to, to soup in more demons. And I think even, even with an adjustment to both points and power level, you still are going to have a problem there that in a in a typical type of adjustment to flamers wouldn't correct the issue so i could see them when i'm looking at these battle brother rules i can see them maybe looking at that as a way to potentially say look you know that was our that was our attempt at trying to you know handle soup now we've got a little bit of a different approach here that we might be adding yeah so um on top of all of that another thing that's really cool and this is kind of a um uh, a, a sneaky little buff to Magnus the Red is uh, the fact that the, the strategic reserves are free now. Yes. Which is uh, pretty awesome, actually. You can just throw your units into strategic reserve. Now, it sounds like you will still need to pay... Uh, sorry, you will still need to um, have like X percent of your army on the table, right? You will yes, still... of course. Yeah, you'll you'll still need to handle that kind of situation. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic. I, I've been definitely having plenty of conversations over the last couple you know weeks over this on whether that is actually going to change Magnus being taken much more. Um, and my theory is has just generally been no. Uh, but that's more based on the fact that look, if you 
you could strategically reserve Magnus today. And even on top of taking, you know, a relic, a warlord trait, maybe two more relics if you factor in Dilaton and another stratagem, you could load up on stuff, take Magnus, and still have three CP to put him in reserve. And I didn't see people running him really heavily, you know, or not taking him solely on the discussion of it costs too much to put him into reserves. What I saw was yeah. he costs too much in general, or he dies too quickly. Um, and what gets interesting is I, I don't think on its own, the strategic reserves suddenly will, will make Magnus viable. However, there's rumors that his points are going to potentially drop significantly down around like where Angron is rumored to be like 370 yeah. points. That's a bigger, that's a, that's a completely different story there. Um, yeah. You drop his points down that much. And that's now you're talking about something that actually can make him viable all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, the problem with Magnus is he's very expensive and it's difficult to actually get his points back out of him uh, as he currently stands. Uh, especially if you're having to reserve him. Um, yeah. It's just, there's so much opportunity cost there because you're, one, you're, a lot of the dead points there on the first turn. Uh, and then two, you're having to spend command points just to let him mm-hmm. effectively dodge getting killed on the first turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it's not, our, our current options for him are not great. Um, even if you do somehow manage to get a table with terrain tall enough to just true line of sight block them, it's it's still just... I don't know that that terrain should even exist, to be quite I, honest. So, the one game I played with Magnus this edition, I had a piece of terrain tall enough to do it. And he survived turn one, and he got in, he killed a bunch of stuff, but it just mm-hmm. he didn't kill it fast enough to matter. Uh, and that's actually we'll get into list wish there wish list territory for my comments on why how that happened. Well, we'll come but, back to that. Yeah, uh, but the other cool thing, and I, I see it's cool. I, so this edition has been all about you can only bring one of the e- so certain HQs uh, to counteract people just taking yeah. three of the best HQ and calling it a day. Uh, well. Uh, I guess they realized that that's one, people were just taking multiple small detachments to get around it uh, for certain types of HQs. But two, it's a little heavy handed uh, to just say that, no, you just get one. Yeah, that's all you get. Be happy about it. Uh, so they've introduced a new stratagem uh, with their most current leak, which lets you bypass that to a small extent. You can now get two of these limited HQ options, uh, which I don't think will really uh, change a ton of stuff. Uh, I expect Tao will benefit from it, but we can take two Demon Princes now, uh, which could yeah. potentially see play. Uh, yeah. Demon Princes being sort of the our most powerful generic HQ option. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I, and I played around a little bit, just kind of looking at uh, what options you have. And I think you, um, I think what's actually really funny is if you do take a second demon prince, 
um, it does make you start considering potentially some of the other cults because of the warlord traits or the relics that you might want to grab in order to really kind of maximize what your demon princes can do. Um, And and that's even considering a list with Magnus where you lose three of the really good um, warlord traits. You still have Aether Stride, which effectively get your demon prince wings for 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 a cp mm-hmm. um and then you also have some of the other cults have uh stratagem or warlord traits uh, i think another one lets you fall back and charge as well uh similar to aether stride uh doesn't give you the advance in charge but you know those kinds of things can be really really powerful um and then you have relics and things like that the hourglass of monot is another one where your demon prince can just get right back up uh after dying uh those kinds of things can be really really cool so um, but you know, there was another thing they mentioned in here, Mike, uh, they, they mentioned that the, the missions are being updated and they're also, they're, they're saying the timing on when you score primary objectives has been tweaked, making for more even experience, regardless of who won the role to go first. If I had to kind of read between the lines and take a guess at what that means, I suspect that we're probably looking at maybe bottom of turn scoring on primaries, something like that, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, what they could do, I suppose. So currently the way it works is that uh, you score your primaries primarily at the end of your own turn and except for, no, sorry, during the command phase, right? That's when most of them happen for the current rule, rule set. I haven't checked in a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, which is means that you always have an opportunity to counterplay whatever your opponent is doing for your primaries. Uh, because you get a full game uh, turn between them hopping on the primary objective and you have an ability to delete them from the objective. And then most missions now have a thing where if you went second, you score at the end of your the turn on your last turn. Right. Which is supposed to give the player going second the opportunity to like make some last turn objective grabs. Uh, now, one thing I'll say about that is that the well, if you're playing versus like in certain army types, you just won't have enough dudes on the table at the end of right. round turn five to do anything useful. Uh, or, so. or you can also look at the fact that the the issue with going first is that you really just kind of get to tick dictate the pace of the game. <laughs> yes, um, and you get to so. dictate the flow of what's happening. So you know the fact that I take those objectives, just as you were saying, you, the opponent then has to respond and knock either knock you off them, or come up with a solution that negates me taking those objectives. Which means I'm yeah. I'm dictating the game at that point. Like you're having to do mm-hmm. what I want you to do at that point. Which yeah. you know I could see them tweaking the timing on on that so that maybe that's not necessarily you know the flow of it or you know, another thing that could be interesting is um, uh, would they dare introduce priority uh, like in uh, Age of Sigmar? Priority? I'm, I'm not familiar with Or that. the, you know what I mean? When when it's basically you had the, um, you had effectively, the, the way they do it is you get to determine who goes first each turn. Um, mm. 
you know, and uh, that it leads to like the the inevitable double turn. Yeah, uh, in yeah. a way, but I'm so sorry. About that. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, they added the double turn to 40k. That would. Uh... I mean, I feel like that would be more of a 10th edition kind of thing that they could do, but yeah, you know, I'm, they, I'm looking they, at that just kind of thinking like that's one of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, could they actually determine who goes first in the turn in the mission pack? Would there really be that much in the core rules preventing them from doing that? I don't really feel like there is. I mean, they could do it. I, I won't say that they couldn't, but under the current rules, that could be really nasty. Uh Yep. Uh, I mean, effectively, what that could lead into if if you set up a unit in a like in a position that's sort of suboptimal, you could very easily see that small mistake turn into a huge game-defining loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, off of a, like your opponent turn. gets two rounds of shooting on Magnus yeah. before he has gotten to move a second time. Yeah, because. In Age of Sigmar, for the most part, ranged You're right. attacks aren't... Uh, they're, they're there. I, I won't say that, that. You can play a shooting armor. But they're not anywhere near as oppressive as they are in 40k. 40K, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not quite sure what they would do to tweak the primary objectives, like when you mm-hmm. score them. Um, I mean, the only thing I could think of is if, I don't know, they could almost, like, make the second person going second scores at the end of their turn thing go for additional turns. Right. Uh, but, yeah, that would almost be a main, I would almost argue that make going first worse than going second, uh, just because uh, you'd be playing with the handicap at that point. Well, they, they've definitely pointed to the fact that this round of the, the chapter approved is also going to come with your your balanced data slate and the points update. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, all the signs are there saying that this is going to be a pretty significant shakeup yeah, across ex- the board. So, yeah. yeah. I expect they're going to, if this is like theoretically our last, like, balance data sheet before they start ramping up to a new edition. Um, I expect that they're going to try to demo a lot of like mm-hmm. tech here uh, in order to just see if this will work for the new edition. In fact, either almost a, an alpha test of some of their design design considerations. Well. Um, well, we're back to that 10th edition topic, and that's probably where we should move to next, um, just on the fact that we've got a laundry list of things to talk about here. Um, and we probably should just kind of start with, you know, 10th, 9th edition in general. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on 9th edition after having played 8th edition quite a bit? I mean... Did they, did they hit the mark? I mean, did they did they improve on eighth edition, or was it kind of a neutral step? I mean, what, what what's your take on that? I I, I don't think that it was a, a market improvement per se over eighth edition. Uh, if I'm being completely off, like honest about it, 
uh, it, it felt like a refinement on eighth. Um, it was like the they did some things that made a lot of sense. Um, effectively, they forced everyone to play the way that I've always, I was always playing eighth edition, where instead of just loading up on I'm going to kill the bejesus out of my opponent, you they forced you to move around and interact with the board. So, in that regard, mission accomplished. They actually made people play the game in a way that I find acceptable. Uh, the But I think they had a lot of missteps here, because um, the people were still able to play non-interactive. Um, I, I remember... I, I think that the point that I just checked out of Ninth Edition was... Um, what was that game? Um, Colin was playing versus the uh, Dark Eldar guy, uh, where he was uh, playing like Colin was playing his uh, orcs. Uh, there was like of the buggy list uh, before I got nerfed, and then his, his opponent was playing this Eldar like board denial list where he just screened off the entire board. Um, where the the idea being that. You could kill as much Dark Eldar junk as you wanted. It did not matter. There were more bodies than you could ever possibly kill. And he would just primary you out and score enough secondaries yeah. to make, make you not win. I mean, that also uh, had the... That was in the... the I believe the, the list you were referring to also had the Nachman. It was, I think, in Nachman yeah. where you could do to the last as well. And it I, also I think had so. that that dumb trick you could do where you could just take your three, your three dudes, pop them in like a Raider, hop yep. them off turn two, and then bring them in at the end of the game. Yeah. You would and never have there's 15 points. To kill them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I, there were a lot of missteps um, with uh, collect Arterius data. I was also just a big, like, what were they thinking there? The, the new one is better. Uh, now there's actually, and it's, you have to use troops or, not just some dinky little one man squad, but um, I don't, I don't know. I think that they they tried a lot of experimental ideas, but I, th especially with how poorly balanced and the some of these codexes have been. I mean, don't you have Dark Eldar, the Harlequin section of the Craft World Codex? I mean, Votan was so bad whenever they released it. That they had to release a nerf to them before they even hit the stores. Yeah, because of how overtuned they were. Well, that was that was going to be a comment I was going to make is is around the fact that it there there definitely seems to be a difference between when the initial rules come out and then what they do to balance the rules once they're out. They're they're yeah. You know, there, there's they've done a very good job, I think, of once the rules are out and they're in the players' hands, that the the rules are generally brought to balance pretty quick. Um, and and quick is a relative term in 40k. Like all of us have um, lots of impatience when it comes to that because you know we're playing every weekend and we're you know we're dealing with stuff when it's broken and 
it, it feels like it takes an eternity for them to roll those those changes out to fix the problem. Um, yeah. what, what we as players don't want them to do is roll out a change and then a week later realize, oh, no, that wasn't the right thing. Let's roll out a different change or roll it back or that kind of thing. That I mean, as players, yeah. that would drive us nuts. So they, I, in my opinion, I think in terms of balancing it after it's come out, they I feel like they've done a pretty good job. And when you look at the stats for the armies, I think that backs it up. They, they generally well, speaking, they most of them they've been able to bring into a you know five to ten percent range of of win rates. Um, and generally speaking, your older codexes are the ones that just are continually you know struggling, and they have to roll out something like Armor of Contempt to to keep them within the game. Sure. I, I would I would hope that in tenth edition we we have less of that. There there's less creep uh in the game in terms of you know just because you get your codex at the beginning of the edition shouldn't punish you throughout the rest of the edition where you have to basically look at it and say well i have a year to play my army and then after that it's probably not viable yeah so i mean i'll give them credit for they're actually paying attention now uh, i think they effectively realized that the community was already looking at these stats and if they didn't demonstrate that they were aware of the issue and that they were needing to fix things proactively then they would have been in a pickle um, but yeah I think that codex creep has always been a problem uh, as long as this game's been around uh, I mean I remember the 5th edition Chaos Space Marines codex Great codex, very well balanced. But the problem is every subsequent Space Marine book that came out afterwards, for instance, was just that codex plus. Uh, and we need, they need to stop trading, effectively building off of a baseline. So they just, the first codex that comes out should be Space Marines. That is the benchmark by which yeah. it, every other codex should be tested. Yep. Because Space Marines the most widely owned army in the game, and it should be the army the that every other army should be tested against. Uh, purely because that codex should have a fifty percent win rate. So they they make a good case on that, Mike. In in one of the recent balance update or the stat reviews, essentially, I think it's their Meta Watch articles. They said that. One of the problems with Space Marines is that it is a new player's army. And so one of the common problems you run into there with their stats is that when you get to tournaments, you have a lot of people with with that are there for the first time. And Space Marines are their army of choice for going to a tournament for the first time. And there's a degree of, uh, I guess, noise is maybe the, the best term for it in the stats that they get skewed uh, due to new players commonly using that that army or there's also maybe a higher rate of casual players that are there not necessarily taking the most optimal armies or they're not there to really win lots of games they're just there to play you know six games have a good time do the best they can and you know that's that and that that actually is one of the great things about tournaments is you do get that variety of players oh so i'm not you know. i i will I'll give them that point, but yeah. it's very easy to filter out that list. You just take a census of the top 
thousand players in the world, and you will get good data off of this. Not- you do almost you do almost start to get towards something like an Elo system, right? Where yeah, you're I mean, tracking if- someone's profile and how they do, you know, yeah. year to year, more or less. I mean, effectively, we should. To get good data on the codexes themselves, you have to look at the highest tier of play and use that to, like, because that, that's worst case scenario. These are people that they have, like, fine tuned their list down to, okay, this game winning machine. Yeah. And the, they're playing at the highest level of play and see how the codexes are doing that. And then, we want to check ease of use, then we take effectively remove all of those people and just take people who are this is their first event and see how they're doing. If there is a large discrepancy there, then what you're seeing there is complexity of play at work. Uh, and that's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And I think Marines actually probably would score very well there because they are very straightforward. You move, you shoot, you do some fighting. That, that's, 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 they're the Swiss army yeah. knife of armies. Um, but I, I think that they need to, well, expand their analytics just a little bit uh, beyond just, well, new people like Marines and shrug it off. Um, well, yeah, I will, I will say, and, and so to, ninth edition to me, I feel like they did a pretty good job. I, I think I yeah. can, at this point, I can look at everything and I can say, you know what, overall, I feel like it is an improvement over 8th edition, but I'm not sure the things they introduced were all the best possible options yeah. that they could have introduced for some of the things they were trying to solve. Terrain being one of them. And I, yeah. I just look at the fact that Every new player that I have worked, I've played games with in ninth edition. One of the most frustrating things for them is obscuring. And when you set up a table, it's like one of the most frustrating things that even after maybe six or eight games or so, that can still be something that, that, you know, for them, they're, they're learning their new army rules or they're learning everything else going on. And then on top of that, they have to learn this positioning thing where, I'm behind the building. I can't be shot. Well, I'm toe in the building. Now I can be shot, you know, all these kinds of interactions. And I feel like that was one of the things that if you, if you take that out of it and you take the rest of ninth edition and look at it, it's a, it's a pretty good improvement on everything else. They addressed a lot of the, a lot of the challenges with like the fight phase. Um, I really like the fact that now the opponent is who goes first uh, yeah. They, I, I, and despite all the confusion and everything around fight first and fight last and everything, generally speaking, I feel like they cleaned that system up quite a bit this edition, where it's very clear that you know there, there's three separate fight sequences. It's who fights first, who fights normal, and then who fights last. And you know, once you can compartmentalize it that way, it actually get, becomes very, very simple. Um, yeah. But it. The, the terrain rules aren't all bad. I really I mean, like the interactions with stuff like heavy terrain, yeah. uh, uh, dense cover, all those things. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll give them credit. They're... So terrain has always been kind of ter- terrible. 
uh, in every edition of the game. Uh, however, they gave it the good college try with uh, this one. Um, the fact that they brought back the universal special rules for terrain specifically uh, does yeah. a lot to speed up understanding of how the terrain should work, even if on a technical level there is some weirdness there with obscuring in particular. Um, I, well, I, I think there was also some confusion as to how levels work now, which is also yeah. kind of funny. Uh, but I don't know that there's a. I think obscuring is a little too binary. Yeah. If I'm being frank. Um, but short of bringing back just, well, this is a class three obscuring piece of terrain. So any, right. only things like this can hide behind this. Right. Um, the wounds, the wounds cut off is pretty good. I, I, I'll say that. I, I yeah. don't have a problem with that that part of it. It's more, you know, uh, they. I, I feel like they didn't get certain points right for models that can be blasted off the table that don't have it, and I think they yeah. give a little bit too much weight to things like a four-up invuln on a T7 model. When at the end of the day, they've then made everything else so deadly, you know, the amount of damage they do. Uh, yeah. it, they've made that stuff so deadly and so prevalent that it's kind of like, look, he shouldn't cost that much because in most scenarios, he's going to have to, like Magnus is going to have to deal with, you know, do I go into reserves because I will die instantly if I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's true for all, every army, though. I mean... Effectively, they've introduced three different uh, defensive methods for armies. You either have Armor of Contempt, or some combination of, I should say, Armor of Contempt, Transhuman Physiology, or just a baked-in invulnerable save. Because 9th edition, everything's also more lethal than it used to be. I mean, look look at the new guard codex. All of the stuff that they've been yeah. advertising is, look how lethal this new guard stuff is. If you thought guard were awesome before, can't wait till you blow away <laughs> a space brain army in one turn now. It's like, well, guys, what do you Well, doing? don't forget all the minus one damage and stuff, too. I mean, oh, that, was, sure. that was actually one of the strongest armies early on. Dark Eldar and their, their what was it, the, the Coven's early on had that problem and you know they yeah i i feel like i feel like ninth, there's a lot of things in ninth edition that i like and then there's a good amount of stuff that i feel like guys yeah. you, you I, can do better than this i, I feel like there things. were a lot of knee-jerk reactions to self-inflicted problems um and that's really where a lot of my, my frustration with ninth games comes from is if they had taken the time to step back and really plot this out. There wouldn't be all these need for every six months to come out with a new mission packet to solve all the problems that the previous mission yeah, packet and to, codexes cost. And to be fair to them, I mean, they, they don't necessarily have the time sometimes. You know? oh, they, I mean, they, I... they are probably like, hey, guys, we need you to redo the fight phase. You have two weeks. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I I would legitimately believe they they would get handed stuff like that, and I definitely empathize with the uh, the rule designer. So I would say that I, I like Ninth Edition because generally speaking, um, I can I can see the intent with a lot of the stuff, and you know, while I might off the top of my head think, oh well, there's there is an easier way to fix something there. I'm not smart enough to think to know that all these other mechanics that are interacting with it are just suddenly going to, you know, there isn't going to be another problem that I'm introducing by doing that kind of thing. So I try to, I try to look at these things and realize that, yeah, it's more of a problem. And I'm more just kind of hoping that, Hey, maybe there's an improvement somewhere in here that we could make to, to make it better. And from a, from a terrain standpoint, my, my ask would be simplify things or even just in a general standpoint for 10th edition, think simple. What was great about eighth edition was the 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 index reset was simple, and you you didn't have a plethora of um, different levels of layers of rules. You had a simple you had a simple series of phases that everybody got familiar with. You had your interactions, and then your army rules were simple enough that they didn't introduce all these special you know, scenarios and, and, you know, exceptions that are in there. It doesn't mean that you can't have unique rules for armies and and units and so on and so forth. But what it means is when you do have them, keep them simple, you know, and if it can't be kept simple, then, you know, maybe that's not the best way to do it. Yeah. I would say my, the only other thing that I really hope that they do for a new edition is removes the randomness on damage. Like we already, Oh wound. yeah, you have to wound. They have to fill their save, and then after yeah. going through all of those rolls, you can yep. still roll a one on your last cannon. Yeah, and suddenly that Primaris Marine just <laughs> and those twenty-four. Yeah, those twenty-five points you paid for should not be getting. You should not be paying twenty-five points for the fact that this might not do anything. Like at 25 points for a gun, when you look across the board, it should be very clear. You get one shot, right? You could hit or you could miss. And then mm-hmm. you could wound or you could not wound. But if it if it gets through and then they have to save, and if they might not save, but if it gets through, it needs to hit and it needs to hit hard if you're if you're paying 25 points for that gun. Um, I, I would I would just opt for saying, hey, make last, last cannons a flat six option. They already shoot just once. And, and you know what? It, it maybe at the oh. end of the day that isn't the best thing to do. But I, I'm I'm not saying flat six. I think what they should do is they <laughs> should take the average rounding up. So last just a basic infantry pattern, space marine last cannon should deal four damage, and then that's your baseline for last cannons. And then oh well, the predator last cannon is a vehicle mounted last cannon. So maybe it could pump out a couple more damage. So but, basically D3 plus three is what you're saying. Well, because you'd still want a cap on it, right? Yeah. So maybe for like a, a vehicle mount, you could add just D3 plus three. But I'm saying just for a regular bog standard LAS cannon, I just I want to be a, a heavy weapon in general. I, I think that you should get what you're paying for and know exactly what you're paying. Yeah, because nothing is more frustrating than going into a game and just your damage dice decide to screw you. 
in the long run, it'll it'll do wonders for balance too, because yeah. that is you, you have a very predictable stat sheet that you can look at. Yeah, I think that that would be a very intelligent direction because mm-hmm. uh, I mean it's been a problem this since eight, uh, and they've very obviously seen that it's a problem we've been seeing more weapons go to two going from 2d6 to 2d3 mm-hmm. or d3 plus three or now we have d6 plus two on yeah. some weapons um which is fine but i i'd, I'd still much rather just get a flat number yeah, i, I agree i agree completely i think if if you're paying for it there should be a you have already in your head an expectation of of how much damage that weapon should do and then what you're paying for in terms of get that getting that output from that weapon so set the output you know to a fixed amount and then just move on and get rid of those and and the flip side is if you get rid of random damage weapons or random even random shots uh and just take those out of the equation completely across the board for everybody. You know what's great? Your statistics across the board get much easier to, to understand, but even better than that, the game speeds up. It, it, it yes. speeds up um, entirely. I know exactly how many shots I'm going to have. I can just pull those dice apart, dice over. I don't have to roll for it. I don't have to consider a re-roll for it or anything like that. And then you can even you can just make blast work where it's like you get an additional X shots with this weapon. Um, you know, like if it's uh, I don't know, let's say you have your plasma weapon, for instance, and it's you know, I don't know, D six shots, right? And you know, you're shooting a five man unit. Well, you basically just say, look, you get four shots, and then if you're shooting anything over a five man unit or a ten man unit, uh, you get you're you get six shots you know you basically double it or almost double it at that point that kind of thing yeah i think with so blast is a difficult one um i i, I like the so my problem with blast um tradition in eighth edition was that it didn't scale properly for units so then they, they added the blast rule for night where you, if you had like five models in the unit, you got guaranteed three, and if there were more than ten, you got guaranteed maximum number of shots in the blast. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I would prefer something along the lines of like blast is. I don't know. I, I, I I'm hesitant to say like you just get number of shots equal to the got number of models in the unit because that just feels that's excessive. a little bit yeah. But, but maybe maybe the question is, Mike, maybe if you get rid of random shots, maybe you don't need blast at all as a mechanic. Yeah. Um, the main thing, I don't, so my, my main concern with getting rid of blast whatsoever is how it interacts with, so. Large units. Large you know, like, units. Like the Vindicator cannon, right? Yeah, like so your idea is that, Hey, this yeah. should still work against it's it's firing such a huge ordinance that against yeah. a big group of models it should do something, right? Yeah. So the Vindicator is the, actually the weapon that I'm struggling with here. Because in theory, the Vindicator should be equally effective versus a 10-man unit of guardsmen. And 
some rhino or whatever as well. Uh, so for the guardsmen, obviously, you're just going to get your maximum number of shots currently because there's 10 of them. Mm-hmm. But the rhino, I don't want the vindicator to just get one shot because obviously it maybe you score a direct hit. Who knows? But you need at least two shots to kill it. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, I don't want there to be just guaranteed. I get six shots versus the rhino every time. Right. Uh, so I'd almost <laughs> I, I, I don't have a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that I, I'm dissatisfied with what we currently have, but I don't have a good like proposal it's probably it's probably a matter of starting with the situations that have the least amount of shots balancing the weapon as that for your base and then giving bonus shots in scenarios where you're shooting against more models actually i I have a proposal or we should have different so weapons like that should have different attack profiles based off the target if you're shooting an infantry you have this if you're shooting at some sort of big tanky thing you have this. Yeah, I could get behind that as long as it didn't get out of control and I've got like nine profiles to... to oh, no, I'm, I'm saying like two profiles. Yeah. Like infantry and swarms and bikes. This. Otherwise this. this. Otherwise this. Yeah, okay. All right, I could get behind that. That's simple enough. Uh, that way you can have your big dumb anti-tank weapon. Yeah. That also can double as a infantry weapon if in a pinch. Yeah, but the, the main that. reason yeah. why I wouldn't say get rid of random like shots altogether is it removes the differentiation between something like a uh, battle cannon versus a Punisher Gallon cannon. Uh, I think there's for, for blast weapons, there should be some randomness, but I just, I think that they need to sort of scale it better based off what yeah. you're shooting at. I, I would, yeah, I think if you can do the profiles, then you don't need any randomness, though, because you can you can appropriate against, uh, or you can make it an appropriate amount of shots against infantry units um, for, for those types of situations, and then yeah. not have to worry about your profile into other stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, okay, so that's I, I think probably a good amount on the overall edition here, and we could probably get into all sorts of other nuances. Um, probably a good idea to start with some of the wish list stuff and what we'd like to see. You know, maybe getting a little bit closer into Thousand Suns. Maybe we're still hitting with some broad stuff here, but uh, I'll throw one. I'll throw a couple out here. Okay, so one thing I've been thinking about is the fact that. The term warlord is used a little too ubiquitously in a lot of the books. Um, and we've run into situations where the, the community is trying to interpret, does this mean it has to be this faction warlord or does it just mean a warlord in general or does warlord you know, indicate any of, the, any of the dudes that I have that have uh, warlord traits? Um, you know, they're, they're, I, I might not be articulating the right yeah, circumstances yeah. here, but at the end of the day, I think there's been, there's been situations where it's not clear whether what they mean is your warlord or your leader. 
And I think what they need to do is, is basically just do away with Warlord itself and basically just nominate one model as your leader and, and say, okay, you, this is your leader. And then you can still keep things like Warlord traits and give Warlord traits to characters, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't, Warlord isn't getting confused between who's yeah. the leader of your army and who is actually just someone getting a trait, right? Yeah. So actually, so my, my proposal there would actually be to divorce the Warlord trait word from the abilities that we're talking about. So you still have, like, nominate one character as your Warlord. Like, that yeah. dude's the boss of your army. And then, uh, because you're no longer guaranteed a Warlord trait, you have to pay for your initial one, just like you have to pay for your relics right. now. Call them legendary traits or any yeah. other thing. Or to divorce them from the Warlord entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so just I, the same I'm thing. It's just yeah. effective. I, I like the idea of calling like my leader guy, like this is my warlord, because warlord's a cool word. <laughs> my war master, something like that. Yeah, yeah I get it. Um, I get it. But yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think that the with the ability to buy additional warlord traits and now the fact that you aren't guaranteed a warlord trait, uh just go cold turkey, divorce it entirely from the warlord uh, whatsoever. Excellent point. Let me throw another one out there for you. All right. Hit me. Uh in the in the chapter approved missions, this is probably not for this chapter approved, obviously, but in the coming missions for 10th edition, what I want to see them do is clarify how you determine what your faction is in terms of your army, what you classify <laughs> as. All right. So when you bring demons as an ally. It should not, just because you don't break the mono rules, that should not, it, I, I'm being, I'm not being objective here. I get it. I'm, be, I'm giving my opinion on this, but I don't think that the moment you bring in another army, all right, you're not summoning, you're, you're bringing in another army in the design of your, your list. I think at that point, you're not playing Thousand Suns specifically as a, as a faction. I think you're playing Zinch. Because that's your unifying trait between the two, that you unify your army over the Zinch faction keyword. Um, and I think what they need to do is they need to call that out and make it clear that if you if you field your army, your faction that you score as is Zinch. Um, this will this kind of doesn't have a big deal, but it does. Um, what it really comes down to is um, when they start handing out essentially rewards at the end of the year or the season for the winners of factions, well, you need to be clear of, well, what faction am I playing for? And is it fair for me to be bringing Zinch Demons, which this is a great example where flamers are too good and I'm suddenly bringing up my scores for Thousand Suns because they got access to, to the new flamers and I'm winning a bunch of, of games now. What happened to all the folks who, who did really good at the beginning of the year, but now are competing with people who otherwise wouldn't be doing that good, but now we're bringing a bunch of flamers and they're taking advantage of that. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing thoughts out there around the fact that to me, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right 
to not have it classified in some way to say you are playing this army with these models, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'll say this, I will, I will gladly accept it. If, if GW comes out and says, you are playing, you were playing the army you are playing if everything adheres to a mono rule, even with, even with exceptions. So like thousand suns with Zinch demons counts as thousand suns. I will accept it. I'll get off my soapbox and I will move on with it. But I would really like to see just some kind of clarification to, to just kind of like level the playing field on that stuff. That's right. I believe currently the way they've been doing the stats is that you're if you're running thousand suns with zinch demons they tag your army as a zinch army no no you you can run thousand suns with zinch demons and that in the using the basically the battle brothers rules that that gotcha. the demons book came from and you can still classify yourself at a tournament as thousand suns so, so the soul who didn't, so the guy who basically brought a pure thousand sons army, yeah, he's competing for points versus the guy who's bringing. There you go, exactly. So the guy who takes advantage of flamers and brings them is obviously at the advantage there. Huh. And I so, swore I saw somebody pull up stats that were. So the long-winded explanation on that is that for a, it, it goes to the fact that in singles play the. ITC basically governs most of that stuff because sure. we we classify our faction in their app in BCP um, and when we're at any tournament. Um, and then that basically rolls up. And we're at the whim of what the tournament organizers determine that they will allow in there. And most TOs don't have the time to go in and police that kind of stuff unless someone speaks up and says, hey, this person has the wrong faction and, and you know, moves on, that kind of thing. And gotcha. generally speaking, unless you're scoring in like the top 1% of all the players in Nobody's ITC, they, no one's going to care. I get it. But for those of us competing for faction trophies, yeah, it, it you could be playing Thousand Suns and not playing for that you know, not have a chance at overall in ITC. And it does still matter because you do get a reward from GW uh, for winning your faction. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it, it the long-winded nature of it is that they used to have rules around this in ITC when they were doing their own missions and everything. Huh? They, they had the, the champions missions. And what they would do is they basically said, it used to be is the majority of your army would determine what your faction was. And this led to the same problem we have with this, where you could bring a thousand and one points of thousand sons, and then something else that is the new hotness with the broken rules or whatever, and mm -hmm. carry carry yourself to lots of points in the thousand sons rankings. And then what they did is in response to that, they said, okay, you, you, your scoring faction is now your unifying faction trait, which is kind of what I had always hoped for. And that was kind of what I was happy with there. Mm -hmm. uh, that was what they moved to. And then kind of like when the new ninth edition stuff started to come out and they allowed you to do these, um, uh, you know, they had a couple exceptions in there, like assassins being brought in space Marines doesn't seem to be a problem. You know, they have some exceptions there, but yeah. Agents of the Imperium. Exactly. Things things like that, to me, easy exceptions. But sure. when you get into things like, okay, 25% of my army can be this, and then, you know, the rest is this. 
it really, it really becomes a lot easier when you just say, look, there needs to be a unifying trait and that should be what you're playing under. So you can be playing under Zinch. You're playing under, sure. you know, I'm playing Zinch demons and thousand suns. My faction is Zinch, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that seems very reasonable. I hadn't realized that ITC wasn't policing that properly. Well, I, I think it's more that when the, when the exceptions came out for things like um, it allows that, interaction like yeah, you don't yeah. break your mono faction rules i think what happened was there's a lot of tos that just determine that that means you can still count as thousand suns which yeah. i i get that's a fair that's a fair argument to make but it's gotten convoluted enough at this point that i feel like gw yeah, should somebody just put a blip in, in there or something yeah yeah mm -hmm. no i agree, I agree all right I, I will say that, you know, other than that, there aren't a general lot of things that I think with, you know, the, the core function of the game that need to be up, upheaved. I mean, I'd like to see simplification, but beyond that, I think, uh, I think I'd be more, more inclined to just jump into the Thousand Suns stuff now. Sure. Well. Where do you want to start? Because I've got a lot of it. I'm going to start <laughs> with Meg. All right. Big Papa Red deserves better. So, first of all, Magnus needs a sweep attack. Dude can transform his sword into a huge sweepy polearm. Why can't he sweep it? I don't understand. It's as big as Mortarian Scythe. He should be able to just baseball that sucker and just go to town. So that's number one. I, I don't understand why they don't give him the sweep. No argument uh, here. Uh, two, he needs to be okay, <clears throat> either cheaper or more durable. I don't care which direction they go. I really don't. But he uh, either give him a bracket system where you can only take X number of wounds per phase or give him a, the ability to take a one-point stratagem Bam, unit of Terminators can act as his bodyguard for a turn. Something to let him not get nuked with impunity turn one. Keep or, preaching. Or cheaper. Just, you know what? Make him the cost of the Avatar of King. <laughs> I mean, why not? That's fair. I mean, so if they give him the sweep. Maybe 50 points more than the Avatar of Kane because Magnus is a psyker. But it's just current. So I. How much have, is the Avatar right now? Is it two something? It's like 275. Good it's lord. Ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. It is so. The Avatar is so good in comparison. Like, yeah. I, literally, just, with Magnus, you have to be so careful to make sure that he doesn't get just whomped by the dumbest uh -huh. stuff. Uh -huh. Whereas you take Gazgol or the Avatar and just walk him right up the middle and there is nothing your opponent can do about it. Okay. 280 is the uh, actual cost of the Avatar. I was five points off. It's doing pretty good for uh, pulling out my butt. But uh, yeah. Uh, make Magnus 330 points and keep him the same and we're, we're, we're in business. But at the moment, it's just bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I don't know that I have much else that I could add to that. Um, it, it, I I think oh. the idea, I, I would say the idea with the Scarab Occult being bodyguards is great. Yeah. Also, one last thing. Um, if we're just going to wish list this sucker is allow Magnus to count as just count as whatever um, cult you are taking. I'm not saying he can cast the power or get the warlord trait or any of that dumb stuff. Just allow him to count as a member of the cult. That way he can at least benefit from your cult's yeah. stuff. Yeah. He founded the cult. Magnus is the chapter master of our legion. He's I think a, that's great. He's a primer. Yeah. Why can't he benefit from his, his cult abilities? Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. I think that that would be a, uh, a great thing and actually set him apart from Aramon a little bit on that as, as well because Aramon probably shouldn't yeah. count as every cult. You know, he, he should. Aramon is explicitly apart. Yep. Yeah, or Aramon counts as like a specific cult, like you know, yeah. Corvidae, be, Corvidae yeah, became go. what like prophecy or scheming or something like. No. Like, give he Aramon, as, give Aramon his own cult. Give him the fabulous ball treatment. Hey, okay, all right, I can get behind that. Well, that I mean, that kind of goes into the the topic I was going to bring up as the cult design because obviously we're we're seeing leaks from the guard codex coming out. We know that sub factions are getting overhauled now. That they've that they've basically said you only get one sub faction. So in a way, what they've done is as a as a layering of a rule across your entire army. Those are going away. I mean, it's pretty clear, mm-hmm. but they're still staying there in terms of you get to add units of that type. So I feel like what you probably are looking at is the cults get an interesting. We have nine of them, right? Which is interesting because I don't think many other books other than Space Marines have that level of layering in their in their codex for the different sub-factions that are there. So it gets real interesting in terms of what would they do to incorporate the different cults into the army? Um, maybe... I don't know. Do they become bespoke? Like, do you do you pick your cult on the unit when you add them to the to your list, and then you can mix your cults across your battalion or your your sorry your list, uh, and then bringing them opens up certain psychic powers maybe, and then your HQs are what determine whether you get access to cult to warlord traits or or relics and things like that. Yeah. And that would be pretty cool. I'll, I'll just be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. being able to do that kind of stuff would be would be really really cool. Um, I would also say we we were talking a bit about like weapon profiles and everything, and I regret that I didn't bring it up at that point. You want to know what I think needs an overhaul is pistols. <laughs> oh yeah, pistols need an overhaul, and I don't feel like they need. A huge change, but I feel like there is a clear difference between a bolt gun and a pistol in terms of the number of shots they fire. And there shouldn't be, in my opinion. I think a pistol should shoot as many bullets as a bolt gun does, only it's got a 12-inch range and the bolt gun has a 24-inch range. Um, I, I, I think... I do not think, agree with that. I think they should be about the same there. 
um, from a bolt pistol versus bolt gun uh, perspective? I do not agree. No? I, you don't think I, pistols should have two shots? I think some pistols should have two shots. But okay. a semi-automatic sidearm should not have as many shots as a fully automatic submachine gun. But, however, I am on board with this pistol overhaul. All right. What do you? What, what would you do? I would make all pistols work like assault guns, where you can uh, char, uh, move up, advance, and shoot them. Because let's think about this: every unit that has a pistol as their primary gun, they're an assault unit. They want to be able to assault. But so oftentimes they're spending their first turn advancing or trying to get into position to charge later. So I'm fine with them being usable in close combat, which even though it's kind of weird the way that it currently looks. But I think that a pistol, how is a pistol more difficult to use while on the move than a, a flamer, for instance, or a melting gun? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think that would be a that would be a fair trade. I would I would take like an advanced shoot kind of thing. But I do think that there are things like bolt pistols that you, you see it in the intercessors or the the primary sorry the primaris units that get the the treatment where they can they get heavy bolt pistols essentially yeah the 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 bolt the pistol profiles themselves just they they don't generally give enough shots to really make them worth the time in the game to sit there and roll them out and shoot them that's my big problem with it so they they have to come up with a way to improve their usability in the game where it's not just kind of like, oh yeah, okay, I have four bolt pistols. I'll take a few shots here. You know, and it's kind of it's kind of anecdotal and it it always ends up being a waste of time because they have like no AP. They have one damage apiece. Um and so you and they're just strength four. So you're not really doing anything with them. Aren't you the guy who has a plasma pistol on all of your corn berserker squads? Uh yeah, because I hate bolt pistols. Sure. So what? And why would you not? Why would you not overcharge, sir? Why would you not overcharge your your plasma pistols? And I will get to plasma pistols in a second because I have a problem there too. I I I got it. So you're complaining about bolt pistols specifically. You don't think that they're a uh, powerful enough weapon? (laughs) Yeah, I would agree there, and I would say that in Thousand Suns. We don't have enough pistols in the army for it to really be that big of a problem. But the moment you play another army that has a bunch of pistols, you feel that problem. And all I can say is when I'm when I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is dumb. Like, when am I ever going to use these pistols? Like, okay, I, I get I know five, I get five willy shots here at whatever I'm attacking. And it's kind of like I usually don't do it because the I don't want to. or increase my charge range so I'm not going to fire my pistols so it's almost like pistols need to be something that you can shoot like if you've charged you get a chance to shoot your pistols in combat that kind of thing rather than shooting them in a shooting phase yeah so I I, I, so I think that what you're uh, you're probably we we would 
propose then is a rollback to earlier editions where pistols counted effectively gave you a bonus attack in close combat. And just that's what pistols do. Because um, the problem is that no. pistol... No? No. No. I do not like that because then what's the freaking point of the pistol? It shouldn't give me plus one attack. It should give me a pistol shot. It should do what a pistol does. Sure. But the problem is we have armies... So Harlequins, for instance, they only have pistols. But one of the best Harlequin armies for a very long time was a shooting Harlequin army list that just loaded up on melted pistols. Mm-hmm. And that was highly effective at the time. Okay. Uh, so, I, I mean... This is a broad... So, we're, you have to remember, we're talking about things at a broad level here. Sure. And then armies that armies are then designed to those those broad uh, functionalities of the guns. So if we're talking about, okay, pistols should work this way, situations where you have things like that, where, okay, we could just load up on all melted pistols. Well, maybe the design of the army shouldn't allow you to do that to begin with, if I'm, that's going to be the core mechanic of pistols. I, I, I won't disagree with that notion. But um, so... <sighs> I, again, we have to look at what units carry pistols, though. Uh, I mean, obviously, Marines, all of them have a sidearm. That, that's just part of their yep. design mechanic. Uh, Thousand Sons and don't, Intercessor don't, units get AP on their pistols. They get a, a AP minus two for Thousand Sons and AP minus one for Intercessors. Um, and then, other than that, it's almost entirely the only ar- models that rely mm-hmm. entirely on pistols to shoot are all close combat units. Their, mm-hmm. their, their entire thing is they want to get up close and personal and mulch things in close combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so making the, the only army I can think of that is entirely close combat based but also has and I'm being quotation marks here uh, has effective pistols is custodians who have like weird rapid fire pistols. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, Grey Knights all have storm bolters, so that's just a, a ranged gun. It's a, a combi bolter. Um, and I think some Mechanicum units get like weird low strength like five shot pistols or something goofy like that but I don't think this is very popular um, so I mean the, the pistols there are like an extra thing on to the, the assault unit right uh, from a, a game design perspective the pistol shouldn't be as good as the dedicated ranged option agreed if it's their entire purpose is to be an assault unit so there's some middle ground somewhere here where it's not ridiculous and not a non-factor in the game. Sure. Right. And I, I think you would agree that bolt pistols right now are pretty much a non-factor. Like, they, I mean, yeah, I, I, don't... Do, I don't know that any, there's any situation where someone's going to go, okay, a bunch of, you know, five, eight AP zero strength four shots are going to change the game, you know, or, or, I mean, really that, make, that's... or even make a difference in this combat that I'm yeah. really in with, I with mean... the amount of saves we have and everything else. Yeah, that that that's very much falls into the territory of just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Right. Um, 
whatever you're relying on, that clutch bolt pistol shot to win the game for you. Yeah. Now, um, if it's a plasma pistol or something like that, and I'd like to talk about plasma pistols for a second, but sure. if it's something like that, I think it's a I think it's a different story. I mean, plasma pistols get multiple damage. It's cool. You can overcharge them. They, I think they're fine. I think plasma pistols are fine because they their shtick is they do higher. They have higher strength, higher AP, higher damage. But there's this huge gap between your bolt pistol and your plasma pistol. Sure, um, and I just, I kind of feel like that's that's kind of where we need to do something with bolt pistols. Obviously, it sounds like I don't have the answer there. Like giving them multiple shots is maybe not the answer, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. So back back to plasma pistols. Here's I'm, one gripe. I, I have a gripe here that is an easy fix. Sure, we know that when you supercharge your plasma pistols, they kill you. Yeah. What I don't like is that those rules apply to characters. Yeah. I think what they need to do is do the same thing they've done with the plasma guns that are on vehicles, yep. where when you roll a one, you get a mortal wound. I think that's a much more fair thing to do on your characters than it is to do on your individual models. I'm fine with individual models blowing themselves up, even two wound models blowing themselves up. Um, but I think it, your characters, that's, that's a little too unfair, like to, to not, to not let them at least just take the mortal wound instead. You know, they, sh they yeah. should have a little bit more durability on that. You're, you're not getting disagreements with, from me on that one. Uh, I've all, never been a fan of the, I rolled a one, uh, your hundred point thing goes away because you rolled a one. Yep. Yep. That's Shouldn't be the case. Design. Well, I think we, I think we're basically now getting into Thousand Suns stuff. Um, I mean, I thought unless we there's anything else. Well, we, what stuff. we've been talking about, to be fair, Mike, I, I've been talking more broadly on, on other yeah, stuff yeah. here. Um, so maybe, maybe that was a bad way to kind of segue there. Sure, uh, sure. But, but I'll say that let's let me let me hit something with Thousand Suns. I think is a big problem. The Infernal Master, great unit. Great functionality, great interaction with the army. First of all, needs a few bitter, a few different prayer options that are a little bit more usable in more scenarios than than what they have. Pretty much right now, the Infernal Master is a handcuff with that with the Terminators. You take them for the plus one strength. You have no need for an additional Infernal Master. Be, a, you have, you know, you're limited on the HQ slots. Maybe we see them taken with the others, but I, I just don't generally see the other powers that he has being ones that are all that great. The second problem is he's limited to only casting one and there's no way to upgrade him or even spend a CP or anything else like that to let him cast a second prayer, which really negates the whole fact that, okay, you get two prayers, you're only ever really going to use the one prayer. I mean, you're you, that, and that's pretty much how most of the games I see happen. And most of the complaints around the guy is you don't have a way to get a second prayer off with your Infernal Master. Yeah. I get the fact that he's a psyker. I get the fact that in other armies, they're not psychers. Sorry, but that's the benefit of the Thousand Sons. That, that, that is what his benefit is, is in this army, he is a psyker and he gets to do prayers at the same time. If he costs 10, 15 more points than your normal chaplain, so be it. I mean, that's the you got to balance that out. I get it. But he should still be able to do multiple prayers like the other guys can as well. And the prayers need to have 
more flexibility. It doesn't mean they have to be better than what they what they are right now. They just need to have more flexibility. Like I should see use cases where this is actually useful. Things where it's like, I don't know, take one inch of movement away from my enemy unit or whatever that, it, you know, just as a hypothetical or something like that. That's just, it's useless. It, it doesn't really have any, any situation where I'd want to use it. Um, you, you really only have two or three prayers right now that are that are useful the plus one strength the re-roll and then the other one that lets you ignore cover is is kind of or or take away um overwatch as well is also kind of a you know very situational prayer that you know i'd, I'd probably just opt to take plus one strength on a rubric squad if my terminators were gone yeah i i do think that they definitely need to add a Oh, what are the the role things called? Like dilettante, uh, it's, an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, an upgrade, upgrade. Yep. that lets you definitely use two prayers at the same time. I'm just uh, shocked that they didn't have that to begin with. Yeah, I, I I feel like they were they wanted to add the infernal master as this like psyker chaplain, but were worried about it being too good. Because uh, remember, whenever well, it, it first came out, it, it, getting your hands on an Infernal Master was uh, horrible. Well, that's uh, my theory on it. Yeah, that around that part is kind of where I'm thinking what they wanted you to do was take more Infernal Masters to make up yeah. for this. Rather than, you, like the rule designs are, are for the sky are really in the way of, if I wanted a second prayer, I have to take a second Infernal Master. But then I'm taking in a second Infernal Master and it's kind of like, well, that's kind of a, a waste of 100 points more or less and i'd rather just yeah. be able to take one guy and then use a mechanic like every other army in the game that just takes one guy and pays a little bit more and it gets to do that second ability yeah i i do definitely agree with that and tweaking with the prayer with the current prayers definitely valuable like the, there's a couple that was why would i have used this like i think the mortal wound one is kind of dumb it's like I, I probably have could be quoted on saying there's times where it's good. Um, and and to be to be fair, you can probably find some situations where you could explain how this can actually be kind of cool. Just like with drop pods where you're doing mortal wounds in your command phase or your movement phase. Uh, sure. but it's 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 just like the ignore overwatch one. It's just become so insignificant that it where the scenario has become so, um unlikely that you wouldn't build for that you wouldn't take it yeah well the, the main reason why i don't i don't like it as a prayer is that as an army we already have the option to pump out more mortal wounds than seems reasonable for yeah. uh, uh any anyone else uh so yeah trading in the one unique thing that the infernal master has to do more. add another d3 mortal wounds like who cares yeah and the fact that only one infernal master could do that spell or that prayer kind of yeah. also <laughs> limits it like if you could if you could do that multiple times then yeah okay you can kind sure. of make the case that hey i take that as my second so that in the situation where i'm not going to do a prayer or i don't need plus one strength i'll just do a dish i'll just do mortal wounds yeah how about this is a prayer uh replace that one with uh, 
unit. So you apply it to a unit within like nine inches or something, because you know nine uh-huh. sure. and units more than not twelve inches away are treated as though your the targeted unit has come. Like light cover. Yeah. yeah. Like the. Because why not stack another bonus to Thousand Sun saves? I mean, let's, sure. why <laughs> let's not? just let's just well, double, triple down on that because we've now got all his dust. Uh, we've we've got AOC, and now we actually have uh, you could do cover on top of that, which sure. nothing is stopping you right now from doing cover to begin with, but you can guarantee that you could take cover. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, it, it frees you up. Uh, it frees up your army to be able to yep. move around and not have to necessarily play as defensively. Because yep. currently, I mean, you, you really want to hide and cover if you can because you just need to make sure you're super defensive and stuff. Yep. Uh, I mean, that is more useful for a Thousand Suns yep. power armory unit than a, a D3 moral wounds. I would like to see one that increases the AP of, we- of ranged weapons. Or the AP of melee weapons. You, you can pick one or the other, um, where you basically say increase their AP I, by one. I have a better idea. They instead just give them a prayer that does jinx. Minus one to armor saves until the beginning of your next command phase. Yeah, that would be too good. And Eldar every Eldar, I, that, that sound you hear is every Eldar player listening to this podcast throwing their headset or throwing their speakers against well, the wall and how ridiculous that idea is because well, you cannot take their abilities and use it no hey that- they can come fight me i've, I've <laughs> got more L- og eldar street cred than most people <laughs> i look people stealing eldar stuff is such a such a, a, a huge it's thing. in vogue yeah yeah I mean, we used to have the only hover tanks in the game. Now everyone has hover tanks, it seems like. Well, technically, no. I mean, the the, the Primaris ones are no longer hover tanks, even though they kind of hey, are. They're hey, not. are they on a flying stand? That's a hover tank. I don't know. Is Does that count as a flying stand? It does to me. It's not on the ground. I don't know. I mean, Tau have hover tanks. The, the freaking Mechanicum now has flying stuff. I mean, what's next? Are uh, actually wait no uh, Imperial Guard do have flying stuff. They uh, obviously they have vendettas and stuff, but well, you could uh, aircraft. The Escher gangs now have uh, hover bikes. I'm sure you could proxy those in for something. All these things used to be Eldar only. That's all I'm saying. It's okay though. Uh, we'll give right. you our our jinx too. Well, this. Uh, <laughs> this sidetrack has been brought to you by Eldar, <laughs> Codex Elfplane. Yep. Uh, all right, so um, the Osiren Dreadnought, I, I just got to beat the table again. When are we going to get Psychic Dreadnoughts in Thousand Suns? I mean, this just is a tra- tragedy right now on a an army that has already suffered enough tragedy in the um, history of 40K. They, they deserve to have Psychic Dreadnoughts or psychic hell brutes, however you want to do it, just freaking give them psychic dreadnoughts for the love of God, GW. It is so simple. Make it a stratagem, make it an upgrade, a command upgrade, something like that to, to make your, your dreadnought a psyker or your hell brute a psyker, something. Uh, they, they deserve to have it. It's been too long. Uh, we've waited too many editions. We've done a, 
um, change.org petition that had over thousand. I mean, I think we were over like 1300 signatures at one point on that, on that thing of, of players that had said, yes, we want psychic dreadnoughts. So. Yeah. I, so for the assignment, I honestly, we might get it whenever they come out with the plastic version. Uh, I can only assume there's going to be a plastic version eventually, because that's what they're doing. It's converting all this stuff to plastic. Um, but man, uh, that is been a thing since longer than I've been playing Thousand Suns. Yeah. Uh, is when are we going to get the Iron Jedi? And speaking of stuff that's missing from the army, can we have more options? Yes, please. Uh, fast. I would like a fast attack. Fast attack. Option. I think I saw somebody throw out a uh, proposal for a like Brotherhood of Psychers style, like aspiring sorcerers on discs. Yeah. Rated. That would that be fine. Really cool. Uh-huh. You could even you could even do a um, the, the Thousand Suns used to have snipers, and you could even do uh, like a scout based unit that counts as a fast attack. Give them infiltrate. They don't have to move fast. Just give them infiltrate, um, or even give a unit like the um, what are they called? I think they're called the blind ones in uh, in the uh, Heresy era uh, lore, where they can just you know, make them like scout Marines, essentially take away the, um, the rubric uh, stratagem to infiltrate rubrics and just make it like, um, or, or even better, just kind of going with this. You could make it a unit that their infiltrate is really like, they count as like statues, like deactivated rubric Marines that are standing out there, but the sorcerer basically infiltrates and activates them essentially, where they turn on at the beginning of the battle or something like that, where you can, you could deploy the rubrics out on the table. Like it's a squad of four rubric Marines. They can't do anything. They can't be interacted with and they can't shoot, but your aspiring sorcerer for that unit can like show up and activate them or can like get within like 18 inches and turn them on so that they can actually shoot or something like that. Like that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I would love a honest to God rubric or whatever, like Marine based heavy support choice. I mean, I Oh yeah. Like it's, I, it, it makes no sense why we don't have that. Yeah. Just look, give me the same chaos based screen sprue. I'll, I'll stick a thousand sun head on. I'll, I'll do that extra work. Just give me something that I don't have to rely on our horribly underpowered, anemic roster of Chaos Space Marine Thagalons. Yeah, we have no... When you, when you look at it, if you take Forge World out of the mix and you want to bring non-psychic anti-armor weaponry, your options are a Hellbrute, uh, I, I think the Vindicator Raider, seeing some use. Vindicator, Predator, but at the end of the day, here's the other problem. Chaos Space Marines got these lovely upgrades to all their tanks and Land Raiders and everything, and Thousand Sons and Death Guard haven't gotten any of it. I, I don't get what's going on there. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I would, I, I kind of the only like thing whenever... I. The only thing I can kind of think of, Mike, is the fact that that something is coming for Thousand Sons in that in that area, and that's why they haven't given that to them. I mean, I, I suppose, but uh, yeah, they. Th- this has been my primary complaint 
about Thousand Suns being a standalone codex is that every time Chaos Space Marines gets updated, it takes an entire edition for us to get whatever scraps that they're going to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. We catch up to the meta and then they move the meta. They, they basically, we, we catch the goalposts and then they move the goalposts again. And it's kind of like, all right, well, I guess that's, uh, yeah, I that's I just, how things are going to be. But they've needed, to be fair, they have needed the the Death Guard treatment, if you if you could call it that, where they they flesh out all these different units and inter, you know interactions that the army has that go beyond just hey we have Zangors, hey we have Zangor enlightened and things like that, and you don't have the problem that they have right now, which is where if you basically design the army. You, they're still, if you think about it, they're still in their eighth edition mode of it was Codex Zangor, they flipped it back to the rubrics, and they're still in that mode. They have not integrated the two halves of the army. It's two armies in one in one book. Yeah. All the Zangor stuff just doesn't fit. It doesn't interact, doesn't work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in Death Guard, like um, what is it, play bear or not play bears, but the um the zombies they have or whatever that they, they they have some interaction with the rest of the army where there's something that they can do. And you know, unfortunately, Thousand Suns just don't have that. Yeah. So. Um on the topic of Zengors, uh, I would very much like for Zengor and Lightning to get larger unit sizes and get a bump on their weapons, make them actually useful. I got an easy solution there. Take the Hellion profile, <laughs> plop that on top of the Zengor Enlightened, don't do anything to their points, and take the shooting away. And there you go. Sure. I'm glad we could agree on this. There we go. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, the Mutalith Vortex Beast is probably the next the next thing to talk about. Uh, I would say that the the overall from 8th edition to 9th in the Codex, it, it was an upgrade. And I definitely think this iteration of the, the Mutalith is better than the last edition. But this edition has a problem that it had in 8th edition and that it needs a 4-up emblem. It, it definitely needs to have a 4-up emblem built in. Um, it does not, the five up does not give it the survivability that it needs. The D3 regenerate is great, but the, the fact that you can just basically, I mean, on a five up invuln, almost everything that hits it is going to pretty much do damage to it. It has no damage reduction and it only has what, 14 wounds. So it, Mm -hmm. it, it takes a nosedive very quickly. And, and just like Magnus just basically gets taken out of the game instantly. Think if you give yeah. it a four up invuln, you can still with when good stuff shoots it, it can still take it out of the game really quick. Uh, but it should it just gives it a little bit better durability against stuff because it doesn't have any armor save. So unless you give it a um, like a three up armor and a five up invuln, I mean now you're kind of talking like okay, I could I could probably settle for that. But you know, yeah, with, I think I, with let's see the mutilus. I forget what its uh, current stat looks like. T7, uh, 14 T7, wounds, four, four five up in bone. Yeah, four up yeah. So first of all, they need to give it a, a three up. Uh, if a freaking Carnifex or really any of the like mid-grade bugs have a three up in as a monster, three up armor as a monster, then the Mulet Vortex Beast should at least have a three. Uh, 
Yes. Um, otherwise, so I don't. So, going back to our, our our previous conversation from earlier in the uh, podcast about uh, defensive upgrades, I really don't like the over reliance on the full saves uh, in the forty k. Uh, it's it feels very it it's not a good design choice uh, because it's just it's so binary and I, I would much rather they make the vort give the vortex beast some sort of damage reduction or a, a really a three plus save damage reduction. The, like minus one to damage it takes or even just making a flat T8 to allow it to actually shrug off small arms fire. Because yeah, that's the thing that really sucks about T7 at the moment is bolt pistols are capable of dealing semi-reliable damage to a Mulith Vortex Beast line of uh, quantities. Yeah. Uh, just uh Show how bad it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, that definitely that definitely is the case. And I think um, when you look at the uh, when you look at the profile, it, they pretty much did all mortal wound type abilities that are on there. I'm not a, I'm not going to object to that. I think that's that's a good a good mechanic on there. It would be great if some of the ranges might have been taken into account, so it gets a little bit more range and can and can interact and do some stuff. Um, it really only has like one power that has like an 18 inch range. So some of them should probably be upgraded so that they have a little bit more range. Um, but outside of that, I think, I think the combat profile is fine on it. Um, it has a nice differentiator between, you know, smashing attacks and, you know, sweep attacks. And, uh, what's nice is it's not, it's not the kind of thing that's going to go outperform your, your Mauler fiend, right? So the Mauler fiend then kind of has an edge up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely think it needs, it needs a little bit of a, an adjustment, uh, there. And, um, I would yeah. almost be willing to say that, look, if, if you're looking at the thousand suns codex, it's, it's really weird when you look at like the heavy support area and how crowded that is with just bad options, you know, yeah. like you have a lot of options in heavy support. You have the Mutalith, your Forge Fiend, the, the Mauler Fiend, the Land Raider, the Predator. I mean, it's just crowded with stuff that's just, I, I don't want to say they're bad, but yeah, they're they're bad. They're bad options. You're never taking them. Yeah. The other thing that I, I would adjust about the Mulith Vortex Beast to uh, inject some of our previous suggestions would be remove the randomness from its abilities. Uh, I don't know. So, so, so the main thing is, okay, so like for instance, uh, Maelstrom Madness. It triggers off of a 2+. plus. Mm-hmm. So, let's say that we have 6 units within 9 inches of the, the Vortex Beast. Like an ideal scenario. Now, we have to roll 1 dice for each of those units. It's just, it, it takes time out of it, and especially things like immaterial flare, where it does you roll a dice for each model in the unit, just 
give me a flat a flat damage. Like this power targets infantry, it does blah. Like I don't like the how swingy the roll a bunch of these sixes and you need sixes to do anything. Yeah. It it feels bad a lot of the time. But then sometimes, oh well I rolled twelve sixes and everything died forever. So I mean, I, I I appreciate the fact that it's an upgrade over Eighth Edition, where you got sure. a random you got a random power, and it's definitely an improvement there. Yeah, I think I, the I'm powers not... themselves just need to be refined a little bit. Yeah, right? I, I I think that the, the the power the warp vortex has been vastly improved. I just think that they're undertuned and they're a little too random to make it a powerful choice to build around. Because mm-hmm. the thing is the. Vortex Beast in the 8th edition, as much as it sucked because of, you never knew what you are going to get, it had some pretty useful powers. Yeah. I, I don't think you, just, you can ever really deny that. Well, I mean, uh, you could always give something additional AP or something like that. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going with the Infernal Master, where, you know, bring that back and give it to him as an ability would be pretty cool. But, you know. Um yeah, and then the uh, you know the stratagems that you get with it are pretty are pretty good. Um, you know, I, I do appreciate some of some of the ones that they have there. But what what really sucks about some of the stratagems that we have is that now in the new and I'm sure a thousand suns are not the only army that are dealing with this problem. You get this great upgrade in the number of stratagems you have, and now everything becomes more expensive because you you start with less and you gain a certain amount through the game and using stratagems becomes a very, very picky thing that some of these other mechanics that are there that are kind of, I can tell that they kind of added them as stratagems because there should be a cost to it. Well, now you have the problem that the cost has gone up and there's no way to fix that, right? It's a stratagem. So you can't make the stratagem free. You can't you know, there, there's no way to get around that. And you get a lot of these abilities, like maybe Empiric Reservoir, for example, um, as something that maybe should just be built into the unit, where instead of, you know, um, you know, it should, it, instead of it costing CP to do that, it should just be something built into the, to the Mutalith itself um, to kind yeah. of help further differentiate it from like the, the, the Mauler. Because even if you, even if you just keep it as is, you still have a mutilith being very similar to the Mauler, but it's got its own little unique traits to it. Whereas, you know, you start tra- ta- taking some of these abilities, baking them into the mutilith, then it becomes a little bit better. Um, you know, it may- maybe makes up for some of these things where, okay, if the powers aren't can't be improved, then maybe these abilities baking them in kind of offsets that a little bit. Yeah, I would actually. So one thing that we've seen since seventh edition is they've re- replaced all of the unit upgrades with these stratagems. Uh, I would honestly pref- like if they make some of these stratagem abilities back in unit it. upgrades. Yeah, yeah, or or like a, an upgrade chart, like expand the upgrade chart where it's not just HQ units like we have right now. Um, or, or actually, sorry, I misspoke. It's not just HQ units because you can do things like um, uh, the the shoot and action uh, upgrade on scarab occults and things like that. But expand it now into some of these other units. Yeah, or like things like have a toggle thing where in the leadership phase or whatever the, the command phase, uh, you can put your mutilith vortex beast into like either saturation or 
uh, Empiric Reservoir. That yeah. way you can... It, it's only doing one thing at a time, but it's supporting your army, and it's doing so in a way that yeah. is on the sheet. It's very easy to just like look at your data slate. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that Age of Sigmar did do very well, is that you didn't have to necessarily check 11 different places for rules, whatever's on the sheet. That's what you got. And then you yep. have like your detachment abilities, and that's it. Um, I like what they've done. With, I like the idea of strategies, but I think that in a, a lot of ways that's made it much more difficult to get the full use out of all of your units because you're constantly, in my case, I was you either are always out of command points because you just spend them all turn one trying to mm-hmm. lap your opponent off the table or survive getting the alpha strike, uh, depending on the army. Uh, but Or you're saving your command points to trying to like always have just enough in your back pocket so that whenever this scenario comes up, you'll be fine. And, well, you're same problem yeah. effects we don't have any command points uh, so yeah i mean that's kind of my problem with a lot of the stratagems I mean, you have things like the um uh the the, the silver tower stratagem that we have or the coruscating yeah, um, beam yeah it, when it was, was the bad last eighth, it's still bad in ninth and it just it sucks so that's the thing like the, the, i remember back so in earlier editions if you had a chapter master their big thing is that once per game they could call in a formidable bombardment and just bam. Like we're gonna like drop down this huge blast right here, and this is like the once per game, like awesome ability. Well, now it's a three command point stratagem right. to do our version of it. It's like why can't so it, this should be tied to like Magnus can call this down because he's Magnus, he's charged. Aramon should be able to call a coruscating beam, and then yep. a anyone with the Rahati upgrade should be able to call down a coruscating beam. Like those three, like things. Yeah. The commands, uh, the command have level. it yeah, for baked sure. in once a game. They can do this thing. Just there you go. It's yep. none of because otherwise no one's ever going to use this. It's one. It's almost impossible to use effectively. But two, it's just. Yeah, it just doesn't for for three CP. It just doesn't do anything. I mean, you yeah. get a turn to move out of the way of it, and then anything can get out of the way, so nothing happens. So, yeah, why would I throw with, three CP away like that? Yeah, when there are so many like one or two command point stratagems that they're just so much more effective. Yep, it's uh, a a design consideration that I think they'd go back in the opposite direction just a little bit to yep. make some of these very fluffy abilities actually usable yep agreed um can we talk about the hell group for a second sure i love the Hellbrute. i have like i, I love hell too um you know this you know my hell always overperform in my games for some reason yeah um <laughs> uh i don't know why they slowed them all down um so having played a hyper fast Hellbrute, I know exactly why they slowed them down. Um, so a Hellbrute has the capability of crossing no man's land in a single turn. 
and heavy flamering the bejesus out of a poorly deployed army uh, with impunity. Uh, effectively, okay, but their, their deployment elite. their deployment failures are not my problem in my sure. my our, my unit's design, though, right? I, I I agree, but the that in particular, I think, is what led them to do that. Okay. Uh, same reason why they nerfed pretty much all of the various turn one charge armies uh, that aren't some sort of bike. Uh, I, th- I think well, it's not there to do this. I don't know. I think I think eight inches was perfectly fine on them. And, and I, you know, I'll stand by that and die on that hill. But I, I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Hellbrutes at, at eight inches for their movement would be uh, would be just fine today. It's it's two additional inches, and you know they they, I don't believe they can be advanced or sorry uh, warp timed, um, or surged uh, um... because I think that's infantry and. I think it's just infantry that get um, temporal surge now. So I'm not sure. Offhand, I could I could be wrong. Could be wrong. I don't have the book in front of me, but it it never comes up, and I don't I don't think it's a thing anymore. But um, aside from that, uh, the only other thing I was thinking of were around rhinos. Um, I feel like rhinos still are kind of in a weird spot. Should they be cheaper? Let me see. Data, data sheets. Uh, chaos Rhino. Why is it a Chaos Rhino? It should be a Thousand Suns Rhino. I, uh, first so, of all, I agree with that, but it's right, 85 so it's, points, right? Uh, it's 80 points. Base. Uh, well, yeah, you have you have a combi bolter that's on there that you have to pay for, so it takes oh. you to, oh, it takes yeah. you to 85 points. Yeah, That's dumb. They should just... Yep. Bake it into the unit. Class. I would agree with that. Anyways, uh, so 85 points for a Rhino with a combi bolter. Uh, 12 inch move, toughness 7, 10 wounds, 3 attacks, who cares? Uh, 3 up save with a 5 up invulnerable save. But I mean, once it's on the table, look, the thing doesn't fly. Okay, so we're not, we're not able to compare apples to apples here with something like Venoms. Um, you're, you're paying 85 points for this. Yes, in Thousand Suns, you get a five-up invuln. That's our Legion trait, all right? So that has nothing to do with the stats on the Rhino. You have up to two combi bolters that you can take on there. So yeah, you are getting a, you're, you're getting a couple shots out of it. But otherwise, it's just T7 with a three-up save and a five-up invuln, right? So it's not really doing all that much after you know, it's done transporting, right? So you get maybe one, one, you get one round of use out of it and that's about it. Um, And then after that, it's not really doing very much other than going and like sitting on objectives and things like that. And for an 85 point model, to me, that feels like a lot. I I think I'm probably optimistically looking at like 60 to 65 points. It currently gets armor of contempt, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually, my suggestion for the Rhino, this might seem a little weird, is I would reduce its wounds count by one. I would just refund the cost of the combi bolter, and then I would leave it alone. 
So if make it if you reduce it by one, it doesn't have a degrading profile. Exactly. Anymore, right? It should just move twelve. It's a engine with tracks. That that's all. That's. Hmm. I, I mean, not a bad, that, not a bad idea actually. Yeah. Because the thing is, all you to really all you have to do to make the rhino worthless is deal five wounds to it. Mm-hmm. After that, and then it doesn't go anywhere and doesn't, doesn't do anything. Yeah, it can't yeah. move fast. It, I mean, it already isn't doing anything. Uh, yeah. So, uh, re- dropping really any non-main battle tank transport down to nine wounds, I think, is a good design consideration. I think. I think the thing that really hurts with rhinos is there's no. There's no real weapon upgrades on them, you know. With, yeah. with Space Marines, you get you get all sorts like you get into the Razorback and stuff like that. But you know, you get you, you don't really have any upgrades or anything that are, you can really throw onto the Rhino that you yeah. probably you should be able to. I don't do know. Uh, the meme option of the combi melta. I mean, I always oh that, that I mean because those funny. are fantastic on there. Yeah, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. The Rhino. If so, I, I think that would largely depend on what you're what you're doing with the rhino. I like rhinos as just a transport. Um, they're like my Isha Knights Chaos Marine mm-hmm. Army had co- the combi meltas, but that was because the army had no anti tank. Um, so I actually I, I I like the the most of the current weapon options for. A just because mm-hmm. it's just a little bit extra. It's the type of thing where, well, I have five points left over. What am I going to do with it? You just tag on uh, an extra weapon, just call it a day. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, the the Rhino's biggest flaw is that it brackets. Um, and yeah. if they got did away with that, uh, or... I don't, <laughs> I, there is already a stratagem that lets say via. Well, actually, I think it's only a land raider. You can give them the ability right, to act full. as full bracket. Yep. Um, but something to let them just do their job of being a transport, and like that's that's mm-hmm. what they and that's do. it. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, that that'd be fine. But, well, you know. On most of the vehicles that they have, there isn't really, I mean, the Predators, for that matter, they're still, I haven't seen anybody in a year, a year and a half, two, maybe two years now. I haven't seen anybody really taking Predators at all in Thousand Suns, specifically. Uh, maybe they've propped up once or twice, but I haven't seen anybody taking them. And for good reason, there, there yeah, really I, isn't. There really well, isn't any reason. Yeah, why? Why would you? I mean, yeah. the twin last cannon does d six damage, though. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just unreliable. And then and the auto cannon doesn't the auto have can- any AP. Yeah, well, the auto cannon not only doesn't have any AP, but strength seven isn't ideal. No. Uh, you want strength eight on a heavy weapons platform. because uh, AP, so AP minus one armor of contempt, just you you, you get ignored by that, and then. Toughness seven, strength seven means that most heavy pla- uh, things like Lehman Russes, mm-hmm. uh, most Tyranid bugs now uh, are uh, anything with 
a lot of stuff uh, isn't scared of a pelican. Yeah, at the end of the day, the tanks are just the, the predators in general are just not that great. I mean, the land raider in in Chaos Space Marines, the land raider has seen some play now because it's it's still pretty cheap and the upgrades that they've done to the weapon profiles have really helped. I mean, the land well, they, raiders. They get- Plus two are great. Yeah, they got plus two damage on those last games, though, right? Yep, yep. And then you've got four four shots at on it, so you get plenty of shots, and uh, that that's actually that worthwhile. And you can transport yep. ten. You can throw your terminators in there. It's a it's a good transport unit. I right. I have another thing for land raider. Yeah, for these log standard chaos land raider. Let it transport ten plus a character. 11 so 11 models basically well no I'm, I'm saying 10 plus a character so like let the character just like squeeze in the front oh okay uh because the main problem with it now is that you either have to take an under strength rubric squad which why are you using the land raider to transport rubrics no. or it's a you transport your terminators but then you can't bring your terminator character with them so it's just yeah let's let it let's put the infantry character on in addition to whatever else into the land raider and that way you can at least not bad yeah. have your little death star land raider thing going around and everyone's all together instead of currently your only option would be to just deep strike in like a terminator sorcerer or something uh, after you've gotten your guys out, which mm-hmm. then begs the question: Well, why are your guys the land raider anyways? Just uh-huh. strike the entire platform. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which I think there are other games that do something similar to that, where like you can bring like a unit plus a character in their transports, and that way you have one happy family of dudes in a transport. It's fine. Um, it goes a long ways to making transports actually a little more useful. I mean, luckily for like Eldar, for instance, their transport capacity is 12, which means that I can bring an entire 10-man unit plus two characters. Yeah. Dumb. Why can't... I, I, I will gladly lend Eldar's extra two transport capacity to our fellow fellow Psyker army to let you, a few action. And it's funny too because the new transports, like the drills that have come out, those those have twelve. Yep. Um, you know, and it's just kind of uh, okay. I guess that that when they were building it, they said, "Nope, you know what? The standard now is twelve, so you shall have 12. But uh, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And I would even I would even go so far as to say, should Terminators really take up two spots? Could you do ten? Could you do ten in a Land Raider and five in a Rhino with Terminators? So I'm I'm fine. With I mean, you're breaking that. the game at that point, but I, I'm fine with the whole ten. Like Rhinos can't transport Land. I'm fine with that. That's a always been like a design of a fluff consideration for those vehicles. Um, I just, from a game design perspective, the fact that the only heavy transport you have can't carry characters effectively with their heavy infantry that wants yeah. to ride inside the heavy transport it just feels bad when that's um, how they would have done it anyways I mean land yeah. raiders the, the thing that's really funny is that rhinos are what get taken in all the lists 
But land raiders are the actual, like when you look at the construction of thousands, like thousand sons and any, you know, Astartes army, essentially from going back from the Great Crusade through the heresy and into current times, the land raider is the front line unit. That is what would be on the battlefield. The rhinos are always kind of like in that second backup role, like they're, they're more general purpose transports and they're not your frontline assault unit. And it just kind of, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, the land raiders are just so expensive and they've been relegated to such a, a weird backup role that you can't really take them effectively. I mean, just because of how expensive they are. I think what would be really cool too, Mike, is they should get the assault transport role. Just like the, um, what is it? The impulsor, the, uh, the impulsor role where you can, you can move, move the impulsor disembark but you can't charge i mean i'd much rather you can move land raider disembark you can't shoot but you can assault hey that's not bad either um that so that that was always the thing that uh land raiders and the assault ramp were able to do is you could move your land raider up disembark and charge that was like the core space marine land raider tactic um and so that the fact that they lost that after the edition change, I think in eighth, uh, really hurt the Land Raider a lot. Um, and so I think bringing back the like proper assault ramp would be a nice change of pace for the yep. Land Raider. Yeah. Uh, Although I I will say that in Thousand Suns you don't really have you don't really have much reason to assault. Because you don't really well, want your Terminators in, in close combat, right? We don't currently. Uh, but, I mean, they could fix that. They could add a Kinetai yeah. unit or yeah. Uh, yeah, any number of options to make a, give us a proper yep. assault unit. Thousand Sons are lacking in melee. And that's really the job right yeah. now. That's the job of Zangors and Zangor Enlightened, if you look yeah. at the Codex. That's their, and, code, and Chaos Spawn. Like those yep. are our melee units. So all of those are just, I mean, Chaos Spawn are great. They're, they are 100% great. I, I don't think anything needs to change with Chaos Spawn, but Enlightened and Zangors definitely need a retooling or a, re, a rethink. It would be great with Zangors to just give Zangors options for all the weapons that they come with or all the configurations they come with in the box. There's yeah, no options the, for shields. Yeah. There's no options for the bigger weapons that are in there, which probably should be yeah, maybe the, two damage rather than one. Yeah. yeah. And the axes, you get big axes yeah. in there too. So, you know, that that's the kind of thing where th they have to kind of rethink that a little bit. And yeah. it would be great if they become punchy enough in combat. It, and it also kind of is part of the problem with Armor of Contempt. Once Armor of Contempt came into the game, it's almost like we, it's amazing how we went from there was too much AP to, okay, now I don't have enough AP at all, uh, just overnight with the, the Armor of Contempt. And when you think about Zangors, it, it basically affected all of the units that were like AP1 in a really bad way, where they had just enough to punch a little bit harder that now they can't do anything. Yeah, I'd honestly, I'm scrolling through our data sheets on the Warhammer app, uh, and I'd like to see two things. Um, well, really, it's one thing, but split the two different things. I would like to see varying army units for Thousand Sons. 
Um, I, they so in forty k sorry in thirty k effectively you can take a themed army list, and it it's like a, like armies of renown, just not terribly implemented. Well, what uh, do you mean? Uh, you can take your warp melt pack, Mike. Yeah, you well, can, you can I, run I, your Zangors. I believe we tore that particular army of renown a new one uh, when they came out. But so I, I want to see the war that that but implemented in the way that actually works for Zangors. As much as I hate Codex Zangors, uh, I would very much like to see a themed list that again works. Yeah, uh, that gives them. The ability to function as the core of your Thousand Suns army. Yeah, so, what they effectively need to do is make it so that when you put Zangors in your army, they should be good, but they shouldn't be a replacement for rubrics. Like they well, need to make sure that they have roles in the army that that the two of them can coexist in harmony. Yeah. So effectively, what I'm I'm sort of getting at here is so, so Arcs of Omen detachment. It allows you to effectively it's a build your own detachment detachment. I, I want for a thousand sons to be able to say, okay, so I'm playing, I'll use cult of change, like, or no, cult of mutation. There we go, cult of mutation. So my guys are like all dudes that I've transformed into Zengors. So I take Zengors as my compulsory troops for my army. And now Zengors, because they're, they're my core unit, like what I'm building the army around. Zengors get additional bonuses in this specific sub wow. army of the army list. Uh, Age of Sigmar does this very well, where uh, they effectively have like six different like micro armies inside the the army uh -huh. that allow you to by building into specific units those units allow you to get additional bonuses that help those units. So you can still throw in uh, your rubrics or your, your uh, terminators or whatever else you have, but your core like units, those are going to get some things that allow them to carry the army a little more than they currently do. Uh, obviously, the Zengor data sheet needs to be reverted back to probably what it was if I'm being honest. Like, the current one is almost unusable. Um, but I'll, that style of army of renown where effectively you're building on the strengths of the units without losing anything is a, a much more valid way, in my opinion, to build that type of thing as opposed to giving a bunch of arbitrary restrictions in for like the meld pack to lose like almost everything that makes thousand sons, thousand sons. From yeah. what I'm recalling correctly, yeah. and half your psychic powers. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's it's not it's not good. Um, would I'll, I'll open up the ability to take big squads of Zengors or whatever, and really lean into this thousand suns as this Malay swarm army. Like because Zengors aren't an elite assault unit. That, that, that's never been what they're supposed to be, but you can bring a, a bunch of them and they're fairly tough and they deal a decent number of attacks with a small amount of AP. That That's a, a usable unit if you give it the structure to make it work. And conversely, I'd like to see a similar thing for cultists where like, you take 
cultists as your core, and instead you have a the, it's meant to be cultists are the the, the the other half of the sort of chaff units for Thousand Suns, where you have things where like you can have a nearby sorcerer bleed a unit of cultists for a D3 mortal wounds, and now they can do this thing or whatever, and really yeah. just. The army in general just needs more of that, more more interaction with other units on the table. Yeah. And, and, you know, we really only have maybe one or two auras right now that we use. And, you know, that that should be more. You know, there should be more interaction. Yeah. There. There's a, a lot of stuff that they could easily yeah. pull into a new codex that would go a long ways towards making Thousand Suns a very enjoyable army to play. Currently, I... I kind of feel that thousand suns have been relegated to almost a mono build you're, you're building around your, mm-hmm. your big block of terminators you have like these psychers mm-hmm. and you probably have rubric brains to camp objectives that that's gonna yeah. be your your bare bones thousand suns list yep and if you're feeling froggy you might take this well we can talk about demon engines for a second because i think <laughs> I think they're oh. also another thing that I don't want to hit on every single one of them, but I will say something that doesn't make sense to me is why Thousand Suns don't have Venom Crawlers. Yeah, I, I, I again, we got the scraps of the Chaos Base Marines Codex. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. There's no reason why we shouldn't have Venom Crawlers. They're just another demon engine, um, and I, I feel like de- the demon engines got orphaned. In this new codex, like there was support for them in the previous codex, and the stat line got improved. And well, I, yeah, I, that's the that's the thing, right? And in eighth edition, the complaint was, oh, well, their ballistic skill is four, and their weapon skill is four, and that's the problem. And, and they upgraded them. Great. That doesn't mean you needed to improve the or increase the points for them, and that basically killed it. It was kind of like, well, yeah. You know, that doesn't do anything to, they should have been at the points they were before, but with ballistic skill three rather than four. And now we've got to fight all the way back to get them down to the points that they were at before. And they also removed the demon uh, strategy. Yeah. Although, yeah, I can't, you know, on the key, on the Lord of Skulls, that was kind of a problem. Well, that was sure. In some situations, it was too good. And even on the Forge Fiend. But we can't take the Lord of Skulls. And, That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And you can only do it on one less than 200 point model at a time. It's like, what are you scared of? Are my yeah. three plasma cannons too much for you, space marines? Ah, oh, man. Yeah, uh, and, just, the, and the Hell Drake is still, I mean, ridiculous at the amount of points that it's at right now. I mean, it's it's got scenarios where it's good. That can't you can't take that away from it. But in most of the scenarios, it's not great. It just doesn't do anything to anything else. Um, it's not like an Eldar flyer where it can just fly around zapping everything with with lots of bullets. Um, yeah, I I don't know what to do about the Hell Drake to be honest. The the Bale Flamer got a huge bonus, a huge buff, and the uh, well, it's Chaos great. Space Marines. Yeah, because, because Chaos Space gets... Marines get the the flamer buff, but yeah, but uh, Thousand, yeah, Thousand Suns, Suns it sucks. Sucks. Yeah, I, honestly, I 
I, I don't I don't know what to do with the, the Heldrake, to be honest. It's really good at what it does as in terms of it bullies and flyers pretty well. Uh, but that in 65 points for a what you get it's yeah. not ideal but that's it's that's its role right like it's the when when you sit there and you look at the the codex what is thousand suns anti-aircraft option it is the heldrick it very clearly it is the heldrick and even for chaos space reads that's it we don't have things like the stalker we don't have you know hydras or whatever it is that i forget what it is that guard have that are their anti-aircraft artillery or whatever we don't have those options, so you might as well just take your Heldrake. If if aircraft are a big problem, load up on it, put it, put it in your list, and go from there. Um, there there is a bigger problem though, Mike, and it's the de- the defiler. I don't know what you do to fix the defiler. Well, the defiler has always been this big dumb expensive thing um but let's see it's a hundred and let's see so it's It's a hundred yeah it's a hundred and too many points and then once you actually do the weapon upgrades like you take your last cannon or your heavy bolter uh and then you put the defiler scourge on there like you should you're at like 185 to 190 at that point. And then there's still more upgrades you can add to it to take it up over 200 points. And it just doesn't make any sense for that thing to cost that many points. Yeah, it's about a 200 point model after you're done getting it out. Uh, I mean, I don't have a good answer for the Defiler, unfortunately. The problem that the Defiler has had historically is that it does too many things at once, but it Mm -hmm. can't do all of those things at once. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, one thing I, I would say that kind of sucks for the defiler is that not only does its movement degrade, but so does its weapon skill and ballistic skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, again, bracketing vehicles, if it, you have a bad first turn with your defiler, you're gonna be in for a bad time. Should they take demon engines and shrink them? So I don't think so, honestly. Uh, I mean, the Defiler is a very large model. It, it deserves yeah. to have 14, 16 wounds or whatever. But I Well, that's looking at it as a big model. Like what if they what if they aren't what if they're redesigned not as big? They and then they're set up with profiles that don't degrade. Yeah, I, I, so I personally, I just so defilers also demon engines historically, their big thing is that they did not degrade, so you could not. Uh, it was called shaken or stunned. You could not be shaken or stunned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally would prefer defilers just not degrade, like leave them at fourteen wounds, and just I, I actually I don't like bracketing for. A, a lot of vehicles that are bracketed because it's just almost cuts the vehicle's effectiveness in half over the lifetime of the vehicle on the table. 
because uh, again you don't even have to fully kill the thing you just have to hurt it enough that they can't effectively do anything mm-hmm. so because the thing is bracketing isn't a modifier so for instance you knock the defiler down to three wounds right. for instance right you're in cover you're in a, a dense terrain get minus one to hit the filers not hitting that sixes. What 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 are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. And plenty of armies have modifiers like that. Uh, but I, I don't I don't have a, a good option for the defiler uh, with the the way that it brackets mediocre then, mediocre weapons on top of that. Like yeah, that's, the defi- that's getting beyond just its profile. It's good in combat. We that it's very good in combat. It's it's a shooting profile that. It doesn't yeah. really do anything shooting, but you pay as if it does. Yeah, the Defiler Cannon is anemic. Uh, it, it strength 8, AP minus 2, damage 3 just isn't, doesn't do much anymore. Uh, the Reaper Auto Cannon is not. Well, it's the, number, it's the number of shots on the cannon that's the problem, right? Yeah, it's a D6 shots on the cannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has blast, but. It's very rare to be able to fire anything that is tough enough to require strength 8, AP minus 2, damage 3, but have enough models to actually trigger the effects of blast or the full effects of blast. Uh, I mean, all the the other weapons, though, are just Mm kind of terrible. Uh, I mean, you could... Give it a it's kind of like combi. It's like combi weapons that are getting thrown on there, kind of like a joke. Yeah, I just I I ran the filer previously, as you might recall. Uh, yep. It would occasionally do in, like cool things, mostly uh, by virtue of just surviving. Uh, but usually, it was a big dumb distraction card effects for people who did not know enough about chaos to know mm-hmm. what the filer did and that it wasn't a huge threat. Yeah, it, they see some big stompy thing. Yep. So they they assume fire that, thing, that thing's bad. Shoot it and kill it. Yep. It's the biggest model in the army, so therefore it must be the most powerful. Uh, which, I mean, as a distraction uh, card effects goes, it did its job admirably. But I, I just... In Thousand Suns, how does it even fit in? Like, what do it, you use it for? Um, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, a lot I of mean, the spells don't work on it. Yeah. Well, that's a, the, I think I, I said earlier, all the uh, demon engines have been orphaned. Most of the spells don't work. None of the prayers seem to do much of anything. The we have no stratagems for them. None of our auras work on them. The, 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 the there's just they're a thing you can take that mm-hmm. technically exists, but they they get even less support than the other chaos space marine yeah legacy vehicles yeah so I I don't and then they get no benefit out of the the five up invul I mean when yeah I think what's great is when we went when I went back and looked at our wish list from from eighth edition going to ninth oh god I mean the stuff we got in this codex I, I wish I had said this earlier but the this codex is probably the best thousand sons codex we 
we've gotten. It's great. Uh, but I do think that there are some things that could have been improved. So like the, the faction, um, the faction trait that we get where it's a five up involve. Very cool. You get a bunch of stuff that now gets a five up involve. But what about all the stuff that already had a five up involve? There should have been something there to say, well, you know what? Those should now have four up involves. And yes. I feel like what probably happened was they, they probably thought that was going to be too good. The reality is, is when you actually put these things on the table and actually try and play a demon engine with like a four up emblem, like if you just throw uh weaver of fates on something like a, like a forge feed or something like that, tell me how long it survives. It's not as long as it sounds like it's going to survive. It gets blown off the table in most cases because the stuff that shoots at it, you're going to have enough shots and you're going to have enough damage that it's, if you don't actually kill it in one round of shooting, you're going to, take so much damage off of that it's rendered ineffective for the rest of the game and it doesn't yeah. it heals the demon engines heal one wound a turn which is kind of like whoop-de-doo uh by the time healing even comes into effect it's never enough it's never enough to to actually justify having healing i think the mutilith is the one model that actually has healing right and that d3 wounds is the way to go I wish all the demon engines had D, they heal D3 wounds up turn. Uh, that would be way better to offset their lack of something like a four up involve. If you're healing one wound a turn with a four up involve, that's probably not worthy of having that higher healing mechanic that's there. But without having something like Warpsmiths, you know, or until they make a, a Psyker Warpsmith for a thousand suns, I mean, we don't. I don't know. I, they they deserve to have some better kind of benefit that's there. You just you have the swath of units that already had a five up involve that get no benefit for being in Thousand Suns, and the whole point of having the five up involve, yeah, like rhinos and land raiders and hell brutes and everything. Yeah, they you solve the problem there, which is fantastic. Now let's solve it with demon engines and be inclusive of the other models in the unit or in the army. Yeah, I'd much rather we get the old Mark of Siege back uh, than what we have currently. Uh, where effectively you got an invuln save if you did not have one, or it improved your invuln save by one if you did. Uh, that would very quickly solve this particular problem. Um, to a maximum of a four, right? Because oh, that's sure. the that's the standard cap. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously we should cap invuln saves to a four plus because otherwise things get goofy. But uh, I, I just, yeah, it's. I don't. I remember being very hopeful for Demon Engines whenever the new Codex came out. And then I remember reading the book and realizing, with this is great sadness, that the Demon Engines I was looking forward to using that I bought two of whenever the Codex started leaking stuff. Like, wait a second. Oh boy, this, I remember that. This doesn't do what I thought this did. Like, oh no. <laughs> but I tried it and it was bad. Like, well, okay. Yep. But I don't know. Well, what uh, other what other uh units do you have before we uh before I actually segue us into the Forge World stuff? I mean, I think we've touched on all the units like choices I would like. Uh 
if they would like to add things or adjust yeah. things. Uh, so I think we're probably in the clear to segue on to Forge World, which is... Uh, which is to say, it really is centered around a question of how long does Forge World last? I, I don't know. Um, do you think do you think we still have them in tenth edition? I mean, whatever stuff is still being sold by Forge World, I expect we'll get some support for going into tenth mm-hmm. edition. Uh, and I'm hopeful that Games Workshop will keep up the pace for migrating units from Forge World to their plastic production line yeah. for the vehicles. Like the Scorpius just got released, uh, which is uh, just nice. Um, yeah, I don't but, I don't know if the pace is fast enough right now to say that they don't have to do another Imperial Armor for 10th edition. I, I yeah. suspect that they will have to do that. But I would say that what you should be aware of is that if there are units that did not get rules in the imperial armor last edition they are headed for legends in 10th edition and that is um i think one of the things i can think of is the um the land raider um uh what's the really tanky land raider the one that used to have the four up in bone um the is it the proteus no the other one no. with ah. the one the it used to it had the uh the the mortar on the front of it Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, it, the mortar and the melt is on there. I'd have to go back and look at it uh, to to remember the name of it. But essentially, there's there's certain models like that that did not get rules in the um, in the imperial armor, if I recall correctly. Uh, you're and talking about the Achilles. The Achilles, yeah. And I have a feeling that they are they're not legends yet, but they are headed for being legends in the next in the next book it's kind of like what they've done in the previous editions where um it disappears but but still has this like window of time where it still has rules for a little bit and then it heads to it instantly goes to legends the next edition that comes out or the next codex version essentially that comes out they they legend uh those models so yeah keep in mind those are those things are probably headed to legends um but i have a feeling that the pace that they're on right now is not good enough to to avoid a 10th edition imperial armor book and i would suspect that that's just something to hold them over through 10th edition until they have a chance to then say okay now the forge world models are they they don't get imperial armor books uh, anymore they're now baked into each of the codexes and everything and then it's it, there's no longer a an imperial armor book to begin with it's basically here's your stuff and that's it yeah so my so if i recall them talking about forge world a while back um and i believe what they're trying to do is so they're moving forge world uh so they're moving 30k into their mainline studio uh so all of the 30k specific stuff uh, is being converted to plastic. And that means that anything that it will be 30k specific, obviously, we're going to curtain. But then anything that isn't like it's a specialty product, that 
will be retained by Forge World, at least as long as they're the molds for those things can last. Right. So, your your character series type stuff, the really high yeah. high def stuff they were doing. So I would expect that the super heavies, like the uh, Titans, the uh, some of the larger tanks, for instance, uh, the yeah. Thunderhawk, Stormbird, all that stuff, that'll remain on Forge World. Um, but the uh, a lot of this other stuff, it's I, I I don't can't really say. I mean, I know the I legions, have the legion stuff, right? Your th- yeah. your your relic armory of things like your your dreadnoughts, your your scorpius stuff like that that you're seeing. Hey, they're converting them to plastic. Yeah. Um, so like the Sakarans, I expect will be seen for a long time still. Yeah. The drill will probably make uh, the conversion over. The flyers, though, I don't like the, the not the super heavy flyers or the fell blade. Uh, the the flyers might. I don't know the the super the super heavy tanks could could go as well. I mean, they showed with the Kratos that they were willing. I mean, they they basically put built something that's in between the super heavy and the uh, your regular Sakaran. I mean, so I'm not saying they couldn't, but generally they don't. So they try to keep the production phase going until they've made enough. They sold mm-hmm. enough models to justify the cost of the mold. Okay, make a certain level of profit. That's well, I mean, Whenever... the, the things like the fell blade and the glaive, they are like 90% of that model is a Bane blade. So sure. I'd be surprised if they weren't able to just easily convert that thing over to plastic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's possible. Um, I know I've been hit by several forgeable purchases i am going mm-hmm. uh legends for mm-hmm. various armies and uh it does not feel good when that happens because no. they're expensive no for uh, sure although i think they'll i think there's a degree of they have to be careful about that when they're when they're porting everything over to plastic um but i'm glad that they're doing that and not just doing away with it uh, so your your resin stuff you've already invested in uh you know, can still kind of hang around for a bit. Yeah. So. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've pretty much covered just about everything we can think of uh, on the Thousand Suns front. I mean, the the psychic powers and the the general function of the army has been pretty dang good. Um, but yeah. I like that they basically, if you look at the fact that each psychic tree has. I think it's uh, nine powers in each tree, uh, which is 18. So in previous books, it was six. So that's three psychic trees that basically got merged into two. Uh, yep. So overall, I, it, in all the powers that are in there are generally pretty good. There's, there's you know, a couple in there that are probably not so great, um, but you're not forced to take it. And most of everything else is very good and situational. And you, you have a reason why you might take you know, er, almost every power that's in the list. Um, stratagems overall have been pretty good, aside from the ones we talked about and some of the stuff that probably should be on models rather than stratagems. Um, yep. You know, the, the even the secondaries, the scoring has been really good. I've really liked how they've done manage the uh, uh, the scoring secondaries for Thousand Suns. So, you know, as a, as a whole, it's 
you know, like I said, I wish earlier on when we got into this that I had kind of pointed out that I think this is probably one of our best rule sets that we've had for the Army in a long time. So really, it's just trying to say, well, how do we build on this and how do we, you know, how do we actually continue to make this better uh, so that next in 10th edition that it's, uh, you know, an improvement and not a step back like you know like we all don't want to see yeah i mean i think we covered a, a decent number of <laughs> solutions for what, what's coming forward uh, coming up i should say um, i know one thing we haven't covered hmm. uh we didn't talk about how magnus hasn't done anything wrong i mean does that really need to be said though i think we all understand I was prepared. I had a whole sheet and everything ready to go and talk about how he hasn't done anything wrong in ninth edition. Um, so I guess we'll just kind of keep it on our wish list that he continues to do nothing wrong in 10th yep. edition.